Hey everyone, it's Steve-O from Not Another Bee Horrorcast, and you're listening to another great production on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Stop, I'm blushing. Mm. To listen to this show, find us on 4eyedradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And if you have listened along with us, you know that we play a a monthly game where every episode, almost every episode, we will have some words submitted by our patrons. The game is called Walloping Word Snappers. We did not have any words last week, so if you heard us say anything weird, that was 100% all us, but... (laughs) All natural weirdness. (laughs) All natural weirdness. We might have some this week, so just keep an ear out. If you would like to play along with us, um, you can just try to guess what words we might be saying, and we will reveal them and who sent them in the next episode um if you want to submit words yourself just uh go to patreon and become a patron and play the game with us we would love to have more words yes but in the meantime we are still in the midst of the spectacular spider-man the show that we really 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 like and it i would say is uh our favorite spider-man show for both of us at this point yes yes accurate yes. <laughs> accurate yes <laughs> until we watch uh i don't know like uh the uh, uh, 60s maybe spider-man unlimited definitely oh yeah yeah that one <laughs> super yeah <famous. laughs> <laughs> but yeah so we're right in the midst of it. we're getting towards the end of the season which is really sad but we'll still have another season after that mm-hmm. um and this this arc is the uh, psychology 101 arc that we're in right now and it's very very good and i'm very excited to talk about the episodes we're going to talk about today as uh as our i imagine probably a lot of listeners because the main like big bad of this uh, arc is definitely a fan favorite so (laughs) yes there's a lot of goodness over the course of these two episodes oh my yes 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 well, let's, uh, I guess we could just dive into it, shall we? Because uh, we don't really have a lot of housekeeping to do now, um, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's do it. Let's talk about it. So these episodes we're going to be talking about, they are streaming for free on both Crackle and the Roku channel. Um, they are also available for digital purchase on most platforms and on plots of DVDs and Blu-ray sets that um, I think are worth buying. But if you don't want to, just uh, just uh, log on to Crackle or Roku and watch them and enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah watch along with us and um and enjoy it so definitely the most accessible show that we've been doing so far this first episode that we're doing for the spectacular spider-man is season one episode 10 the episode is entitled persona the synopsis for this episode i uh, got it from amazon this time normally we do imdb because hmm. they're kind of fun and very hit or miss um the imdb synopses for both of these episodes were the entire episode like a synop- oh. the summary of everything and it would take an extremely long time to read through all of it. So Amazon use sometimes like shares the um, summaries with IMDb. So I just went there to see what they had and they just have a pretty basic one. So nice. that's what we're working with now. 
So the synopsis per Amazon, before either Black Cat or the Chameleon can steal it, an alien symbiote in Dr. Connors' lab attaches itself to Spectacular Spider-Man. Disguised as Spider-Man, the Chameleon embarks on a crime spree that only Spidey and the Black Cat can stop. This originally aired on May 17th, 2008, and it was written by Matt Wayne and directed by Dan Fawcett. Yes, and both of them have uh, written and directed before, so listen to past episodes to learn more about them. They definitely keep it in the house for, for this show. We don't really seem to get a lot of uh, a lot of like freelancers on, on this show. It's pretty interesting now at this point. Um, I think the last few that we've done, actually, it's been no new writers or directors, I think, maybe except for like Jennifer Coyle mm-hmm. on the last episode. So yeah. that's always interesting. But, but, ooh, I'm excited to talk about the people <laughs> that are in this one. <laughs> yes, yes, there are are uh, a number of characters introduced in this episode three of which are featured pretty heavily two of which i suspect we'll probably see again so i'm hoping they'll get more focus and if not we can always we can always uh, talk about them now but the first of the major characters introduced in this one and one very much spotlighted is black cat um, and she is voiced by trisha helfer who Oh my gosh <laughs> plays number six in sci-fi's battlestar galactica series Holy shit, one of my favorite shows of all time. And I had no idea that was who I was listening to until I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love her voice so much. She's, it's very it's good. A, it's brilliant casting for one, but yes. oh God, she's just, it's like a soothing, sensual voice, which mm-hmm. is um, very prevalent in the, the writing of the first version of the character too. So yes, it's, it's so good. <laughs> she's perfect for all of the sort of like uh, suggestive, flirty sexual innuendo laden dialogue that we are going to dive into in this episode (laughs) yeah yeah and she's clearly having fun with it oh Um, so much yeah she's she's great she also voices Edie in mass effect 2 and 3 which is a huge favorite for me that's like my favorite game series of all time and she's also great in that so that's exciting um in addition to that she also voices a character named aphrodite in scooby-doo mystery inc which as you could probably guess from the name, also plays a very, uh, it's also a very, like, <laughs> sensual kind of character. So, <laughs> she's really good at it. Is that a character that you remember or recognize? I only yeah. watched a little bit, so I don't remember, but... Um... Yeah, she was just one of the, one of, like, the, the monsters um, oh, okay. in the show. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anything anything extravagant but you know it was it's aphrodite so it was a whole like love thing it might have even been like a valentine's day episode or something actually gotcha well she also um ends up returning to the role of black cat for the spider-man web of shadows video game which is kind of cool um i think it's kind of fun when you end up (laughs) with circumstances like that where they're like hey you did a good job you want to do that again (laughs) yeah 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 so she's great i love this version of black hat Um, we're definitely going to talk about her but oh man it's such just i just like a a dream casting situation i feel like she's so she's so perfect in it oh yeah she kills it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, we can talk about the other the other two characters that are kind of spotlighted here but the voice actors we have talked uh pretty substantially about before for both of them yeah the main villain in this episode is the chameleon and he is portrayed by stephen blum so uh, we talked a lot about him in uh, the Catalyst episode because he also voices Green Goblin in the series. Puts on a very different voice for Chameleon <laughs> for sure. Really doesn't even get much time to talk as Chameleon really because most of the time in this episode we're hearing Chameleon disguised as other people. So right. unlike in the 90s show though, he does actually have a voice. So that's cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other character that we have seen before but is finally named is George Stacy or Captain Stacy, and he's portrayed by Clancy Brown. And we previously talked about Clancy Brown when we talked about Rhino. So yeah, we've we've lavished quite a bit of praise on uh, both of these guys already. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, because yes. everyone in this show is extremely talented. <laughs> yes, there are, like I mentioned, two other characters that are introduced, and I... Unless you think otherwise, we can just mention them when they become plot relevant um, in this episode. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cool. All right. So I guess, I don't know, anything... Anything before we dive in? Not particularly. I think we can just go right in and we'll, uh, we'll I have some stuff that I want to bring up as we go along as usual, but, but I think we're good to just get started now. Let's do it. So this episode opens with Peter rushing home to watch a news report about alien life discovered attached to the recently returned space shuttle, which is something that we saw at the end of the last episode we discussed. It's funny. Aunt May is like, I don't get it. It's just some mud. And Peter's like, Mud? It's organic mud. It's living mud. It's from outer space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like so it's, he's it's stoked. <laughs> yeah. It's really reminiscent to me of finding like bacteria or something. Yeah. Or, or, or even just like finding that Mars had like frozen water on it. Uh-huh. And I feel like people are just like, so? Like, what's cool, the big it's deal? Water, what whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, no, you don't see the possibilities. Yeah, <laughs> you don't see huge. what this actually means. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. Actually, I can because I bet it would be just like that. If we had a space shuttle come back with some sort of like non-terrestrial sludge on it, I feel like we would end up with a scenario where people are like, it's just it's just mud. Yeah. It's just space mud, whatever. Like, what? It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's space mud. mud. That, it's literally space mud. That's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the, the news anchor in in this um, is really like, he's kind of, I don't know. He's kind of like, I guess unprofessional in a weird way, but <laughs> it, it works. He's just really excited, but like. He, he kind of just uh, does little, like, weird editorializing on it. And, like, there's a point when he's, like, trying to zoom in on the image of it. And he's just, like, right there. And it's, like, <laughs> shouldn't you already have that prepared, first of yep. all, before you're reporting on it? And then and then he's making comments, like, well, it's primitive, of course. And it's, like, dude, you're a news anchor. You're not, you're not yeah, a scientist. What do you know, like, sir? <laughs> <laughs> what do you? <laughs> it's interesting. One thing that's really cool about this news report is that we also learn how it gets from... <laughs> what we said was California, right? Or what they said was California to where it needs to be, which is New York City. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this organic mud is making its way to New York City because Dr. Connors basically got, I guess, the contract to study it, which is very cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess it makes makes sense. Um, And I mean, I guess I guess that would make sense. That's where it would go like a, uh, a really prestigious college research lab. So I I buy it. Yeah, they even they qualify, they basically say like the foremost, whatever type of scientist, something to Mm. do with um, probably, I don't know, molecular biology. I have no idea what kind of scientist he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A mad Uh, one. (laughs) A mad one. Yes. A super, a comic book scientist. They just science everything. Well, during this news report, Eddie Brock is captured on camera. So Peter's like, ooh, there's my in. So he, he calls up Eddie, hoping to kind of take advantage of, of his in with Eddie and the doctors. But, you know, Eddie kind of breaks the news that, no, Peter can't swing by because, and I quote, Dr. Martha has spoken. No visitors, no reporters, and for sure no photographs. She already knows she can't trust. Mm-hmm. Which, um, <laughs> Peter 
Peter's like upset about it, but definitely doesn't put the blame in the right place. <laughs> yeah. He attributes this to like Parker luck and it's definitely not Parker luck, buddy. Right. Well, this and we Parker see consequences. <laughs> we see right after that. He clearly hasn't learned his lesson at all. Nope. So yeah. Nope. I was like very, mm, I guess I shouldn't say surprised, but I was caught off guard at how quickly he's like, well, Screw that. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, oh, uh, okay, sure. I mean, I I guess in his head, it's like just uh, popping, like looking at the alien is literally all he wants to do. He doesn't yeah. want to study it or anything. He literally just wants to see it. And so I can sort of see just peering at it through a window is yeah. really a big deal. So that's true. I can see the I can see where his brain is going with that. He's still being kind of a brat about it, but <laughs> I, yep. I get it. Why? Well, yeah, it's because it, it's because of the way he reacts specifically to what Eddie says, where it's like, mm, if you were like, man, that stinks. I really screwed that up. But I could take a peek, right? That's, I feel like that's different than what he actually does. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) But because he can't accept no for an answer, um, kind of like we've already alluded to, Peter takes it into his own hands um, and puts his suit on and brings his camera over to the Connors lab so he can get a peek at the life form. Basically, he brings his camera so that he can zoom in on it, kind of like a little telescope action, um, which makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. He ends up getting more than he bargained for, though, because there is a cat burglar repelling into the lab with her eyes set on the alien life form. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it's after this that we cut to the opening credits, which, uh, did you notice that that it's different? Did you notice that they made a change? No, I didn't. Really? I wasn't paying attention. I was like, well, I've seen them now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harry Harry no longer appears in the opening credits, oh. and he's been replaced with a credit for Mary Jane. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, no, I just, I wasn't watching the credits this time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's cool because it kind of emphasizes, for one, that like things on this show do actually change, and that, yeah, Harry's actually gone. That's not going to be a, that's like just going to be like a, a nice little one episode thing. So yes. I like that coming. I mean, you kind of, it's really subtle and really simple, but I feel like you kind of feel the consequences of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. No, I like when, I like when shows do that. Editing the credits for some reason is very exciting. So I, I wish I had been paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, after we come back from the credits, uh, we see Peter sets his camera to take pictures of the encounter. So he can still, he can still get pictures and even maybe get pictures of the alien potentially while he still saves the day. So he slips in through the skylight to confront the burglar who we learn, of course, is named Black Cat. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, whoa. A cat burglar? Oh my named gosh. Black Cat? No what? way. <sighs> when you had said that we were getting two black suits. Yeah. Well, there's a double meaning in that though. Do you know? Wait, actually, I'm not sure if you know what I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, there. I'm thinking of three different ways it could be interpreted. So I think I think okay. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So um, after Black Cat opens the life form's containment pod, the two clash, of course. And Black Cat actually, uh, she isn't really like fighting him necessarily. She's actually really kind of amused by him. She's um, playing with him. She even says like yeah. cats don't eat spiders or kill spiders. They play with them. <laughs> she says they bat him around. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's actually it just is trying to convince Spidey to team up with her. Not in like a like a super villain, like we can take over the world kind of way, but just in a like, hey, I like you. You've got cool abilities. Let's mm-hmm. steal stuff together. You seem cool. They really hit it off pretty well, actually. Um, they sure do. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, okay, I really love the chemistry between the two. Like, the actors, for one, they play off of each other really well, and I'd like to think that they are in the booth together. Because I was just thinking that. I would be massively impressed with the both of them if they were not in the room together, because, oh my gosh. Sparks I know. fly. Seriously. I know, like, the behind-the-scenes feature that's on the Blu-ray, like, they have some clips of some episodes. I don't remember which ones it is, but but they definitely do bring some of them into the booth together. So I feel like it's impossible for them not to do it at this point for these Gosh, two. right? Because oh, they're they're so good at playing off of each other. Their energies are just perfect, per, like, mm-hmm. perfectly in sync. And, like, the writing on this is, like, some of the best writing dialogue-wise in the show up to this point. It's, it's really fun. It's so fun. It's, like, ridiculously innuendo-laden to the point where it's just, like, I can't even fathom how how this is happening right now. Like, how it got through any censors. How they're able to real. do it. How they're able to do it without it seeming, like, annoying, too. Because, like, literally every single line that they say in the scene, and almost throughout the entire episode, is some kind of, like, heavy-handed innuendo. But mm-hmm. it all it all works, whether it's, like, the delivery or just the fact that they're still, like, well-written innuendos. Like, yeah. it just all works so well. Yeah, no, for real. It was um, It was super enjoyable. It was almost like... Watching a comedy set, but not for jokes, but for innuendos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you're yeah. like, every single one of these is hitting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. There isn't any any joke that they have that or, or piece of dialogue that doesn't land. It's so impressive. It, like, it really feels like they're firing all, on all cylinders. Like, Black Cat kind of brought out the best in them, it seems like, mm-hmm. which is real cool. Oh, one, one thing before we get into their, their hot and heavy flirt sesh. I, yeah. I like that, like, Black Cat has a little line where she's like, um, like, a school locker has better security, I think is what she says. <laughs> she does. But it's still, like, a college science lab that has, like, invisible laser alarms. Like, it's, <laughs> it's still pretty decked out for, for a science yep. lab. And she's you mean like, you oh, didn't have to, nothing. like, uh, disarm the lasers in the classroom when you were there first <laughs> at 8.15? <8:15? laughs> Apparently not. Wow. What an insecure school you went to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 like I wouldn't even notice it if she hadn't commented on how like low the security was. It's yeah. like really okay. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the beautiful exchange starts off right off the bat of oh, you better not get your goop in my hair. <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh God. Whoa. Whoa. Which. You know, would be one thing because it's a Spider-Man show and he has his webbing and stuff. But then he has this really bizarre response, which is, don't worry, it comes off with ice or peanut butter, which, what? (laughs) What (laughs) are you talking about? It gets off to a very weird, sticky start. Yeah, so all that's going on, and I like that. So when Black Cat is trying to sort of um, ring in Spider Man onto her whole deal, that's when she's like, "Hey, you want in on this gig? We could split the take." And and I love the uh, the delivery of uh, Spidey's line back. He's like, "Gig, take. These words are strange to me." <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It was so weird. <laughs> But it ends up being not so weird sort of later on in the episode. So uh-huh. ends up being a really clever inclusion of some of the terminology, which I like. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Anyway, she kind of explains, just like we're expecting that 
whoever, she just says a certain captain of industry um, had kind of offered her a lot of money to just steal steal the alien because, of course, you know, it's a big deal. Um, of course, there's a there's no way to make money off of it. <laughs> and so they have a lot more innuendos from there. I don't know how many we can really recap. But I, <laughs> um, but actually, I, I do like the, the little quip where uh, she refers to him as a captain of industry. And Spidey's like, are you sure he's a full captain of industry and not just like a cadet showing off for a girl? Um, which I thought was kind of clever. Um, and then Black Cat calls him hot stuff. So, yep. which it's weird if you think about it, because she's clearly not a teenager and he's a 16 year old. She doesn't know that, but yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. If I think if she had full knowledge, it might be a little weird, but uh, yeah. he's a buff little 16 year old yeah, superhero. She, she doesn't know. <laughs> and I think, um, I think Greg Weissman has said in interviews that she's like canonically supposed to be 19 years old. So oh, okay. it's not super like it's not super yeah. weird. It's not like it could it's be like a, so much worse. <laughs> it could be so much worse, especially with the considering the voice actress that they have. Like right. she doesn't really have a 19 year old's voice, but it's fine. It's still perfect. Right. So. <laughs> right. I think the only thing that I the only other thing I would mention from this particular conversation, because it actually it goes on the entire time that they are, like you said, fighting's not quite the right word. It's more like Spider-Man trying to capture her and her playfully making her way out of all of his attempts. Yeah. But the last thing I would mention is (laughs) he responds at some point, Spider-Man does, to say it's tempting, this offer that she's putting out there. But then he'd have to turn in his superhero discount card, which (laughs) the discount card, whatever. But the fact that he's talking about like compromising a moral and having to potentially turn in a superhero card in light of what we're about to see Mm. (laughs) and you know in light of some of the things he's done just as peter is pretty interesting yeah that is very interesting this is definitely he's got some uh he's got a little bit of like moral ambiguity in him he's still figuring out what his moral compass actually is so yes um which yeah I and mean, we've seen we've seen that plenty it's it's but it's always causing him mistakes and he's learning so it totally yeah. fits i bet it totally clarifies over the course of these next couple episodes right he just becomes like totally set in all of his morality everything's black and white <laughs> yeah yeah or well everything is black and white um oh, hey that's that. true <laughs> very true <laughs> also also um black cat i like us together spider-man we only just met and i'm not that kind of spider <laughs> oh my gosh the delivery of her response to that is amazing amazing where she says um give a cat a chance and she'll make you that kind of spider. I was like, Ooh, dang. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Suddenly I'm questioning my sexuality. I know. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Number really six. <laughs> and you know, what's, what's funny is that it's like, she almost is doing that like Eartha Kit Catwoman thing with the way her line <laughs> delivery is where she's like dragging out syllables in really yeah. specific ways. And it's kind of purry. I don't know a better way to describe that, but you know no, what I, I mean? know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. But, it's not in an over-the-top way it's just like it mixes it with like that sensualness that she does it's so it's kind of a it's a really brilliant performance honestly yeah she is so so good i can't say it enough (laughs) (laughs) well as these two are distracted with one another quite honestly the life form sort of goopily crawls out of its pod because black cat did open that pod and just sort of like left it open (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's pretty true. pretty big oversight considering it was moving around in there yeah but uh but yeah it sort of makes its way out and 
confusedly crawls around underneath the lasers. But the lasers do eventually um, make contact with something because I don't know if someone throws it or just knocks it over, but a glass aquarium ends up falling off of one of the desks and crashes into the ground. So the, the alarm does sound, the lasers are activated, and in sort of the chaos of it all, Spider-Man steps onto the life form, and we see Dr. Connors actually rush into the lab. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that kind of uh, gives an opening for distraction. Um, as Black Cat says, two's company, three's a corroborating witness. <laughs> Which I like that line. And so yes. she uh, she makes her escape from there. And, of course, you know, uh, Dr. Connors is there freaking out. And Spider-Man notices that the life form is gone, not noticing the big smudge on his foot yeah (laughs) i guess it just uh it immediately must have like melded into his suit at that point so he wouldn't feel like slippery stuff (laughs) yeah this is definitely one of those like they're showing us it's there but i guess we're supposed to believe it's just sort of like i camouflaged itself into the suit or something yeah yeah. well as we (laughs) see later as we see later spidey doesn't really it takes him a long time to notice big things on his suit so (laughs) very true (laughs) but either way um the only thing that that spidey can figure is that black cat must have uh, stolen it or snuck off with it during the fight which although i don't know why he didn't consider that the thing could have crawled off on its own but eh, you know whatever yeah those two really were underestimating this this thing's mobility Right? I mean, I I don't know. It was like pounding its little slime fist against the glass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you open a door and then like a dog runs out and it's like, someone must have taken that dog. Like, (laughs) I don't know about that, buddy. Mm, Um, Sure. That's what happened. (laughs) Either way, the assumption is that the thief stole the ooze. Yes. And so Spidey, Spidey leaves and Dr. Connors says, suspiciously, so much for this gig. Gig? What? Yeah. What is this word? Gig? It's, it's clever. <laughs> it is kind of clever because you could assume that like Dr. Connors is just talking about his gig being like his ability, like the yeah. gig to have study the alien. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the word Which choice Which is of what gig. I thought the first time. I didn't yeah. catch the reference until the second time when I already knew everything that happened. It's a clever bit of writing. Yeah, so I think it's 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 really smart. Yeah, cuz I mean they they literally just established it, but it's subtle enough that you don't really notice it because if you're watching this like blindly, you don't know that Chameleon's going to be in it. So you don't even mm-hmm. know that that's going to be a thing that's up. So Right, you're not looking for characters to not be themselves. <laughs> right, right. So the next day, the Daily Bugle's front page story is I think it's just Spider Thief steals life form or something, but Maybe just Spider Thief, actually. But the person selling the papers in a very old-time newsy way says, Spider Thief and Accomplice, steal (laughs) (laughs) E.T. So naturally, everybody now thinks that Spider-Man stole the alien life form because he was spotted at the scene. Oh, no, it is Spider-Man after all, so he always gets blamed for everything. Yes. (laughs) And of course, it is the Daily Bugle, so what do you expect? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So at the lab... The, uh, the police and the FBI investigate the burglary, and Gwen and Eddie read the Bugle story, and Eddie notes that Peter provided pictures of the scene. You did it again, Pete! Oh, oh my, my gosh! God. Idiot! He's... Okay, I love so much that these writers commit to this being something that has consequences. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. But my God, Peter. Like, <laughs> come on! I know! You... Same... Well, maybe not same place, but same 
people. It's the Connors again. Like, why didn't you think about this? <laughs> it literally cost you your job last time. Yeah. You almost contemplated quitting being Spider-Man over it. <laughs> like, uh, come on, man. Come on. But I love the commitment to this. I love the commitment to this. Yeah, because he's just not thinking about it. I think, and that's a thing that I think is a, a really major through line through at least these two episodes specifically is they're really calling out and kind of interrogating Peter's obliviousness towards things mm-hmm. and the consequences that it has. And I think that's really smart is that even though this show is the education of Peter Parker, like you don't always immediately ingest the lessons that you've learned. Like sometimes yeah. you think you've learned lessons and you're not actually changing. And mm-hmm. we're seeing clearly here, he's making the same mistakes. I think it's really smart because it could be, it could be frustrating and just feel like, like it's not a, it's not a good writing choice or that they're running in circles with it. But I think it's very in character for Pete to just be so focused on what he's doing. We've seen it over and over again that he gets so honed in on yeah. what his current goal is that he just doesn't think through stuff. He's a smart right. guy, but he just does not think through stuff. Well, and this works really well because the writers include the in-universe consequences. You know, like we we talk about that sometimes where, you know, when the characters are doing bad things, how are we supposed to feel about the bad things they're doing? Are we supposed to root for those choices? Or are we supposed to be like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and the writers always, almost always, do a really good job of having people react to those choices that he makes, which helps us realize, like, what exactly Peter's learning, you know? Because if... In a in a in a worse written show, we would be like, "Oh man, come on, Eddie! Like he's just selling pictures." Yeah. Or not even think about it at all. Right. And instead, this is kind of a major a major motivation for a very big turn that Eddie ends up taking. <laughs> yes, <It's>, it is. <laughs> <laughs> which that'll be interesting to talk about in the next one. Mm-hmm. But at this point, um, Eddie is pissed because, as he says, "Bro had his second chance." I'm done. And Ben Diskin does his best deep, grovelly, angry voice with Rawr. him. Um, it's very good. And also yeah. Gwen gets literally one line in this whole episode, and it's a butt. But. <laughs> That's it. I don't know if she has any lines in the next one either, actually. So. I don't think so. Oh, poor Gwen. She's just. I don't know if she's even in the next one. I don't think she is either, actually, now that you mention it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Eddie very directly says that Peter did nothing because he doesn't know Peter Spider-Man. So, like, if you really think about that, it's like Peter had a choice of calling the police, even if he was taking pictures, and he just didn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's not even just a matter of benefiting off of somebody else's pain or misfortune. Peter could have both taken pictures and called the police. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like that Eddie says that specifically, like he didn't even call the police. Cause I never think about that, you know, until the PS4 game, I never really thought a whole lot about Spider-Man being in direct contact with the police to like call them to the scene. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And it is like, I mean, I, I, I feel, I feel conflicted about, about it in this case because they, they do give Peter a little bit of an opening because he assumed that Dr. Connor was, Connors was there and Dr. Connors was going to call the police. So yeah. the, the photo situation is a little less bad, but it's still, the, it's still the fact that it's like you didn't consider the fact that 
the people who were mad at you for taking pictures are still going to be mad at you for being there when you weren't supposed to be. Even yep. if the even if the robbery didn't happen, if you took pictures of the alien and sold it to the bugle or something, they'd still be mad at you. Like there's yeah. there's still a million different ways, you know. And 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 I don't know. It's just they they uh, do a really good job making sure that each person's perspective is accurate. Like they, yes. they don't overlap people's perspectives. So Eddie only knows what Eddie knows. Peter only knows what Peter knows. And Dr. Connors only knows what Dr. Connors knows. And they don't allow those perceptions to bleed into each other yes. um, when they're not supposed to. Yes. And they're all valid perceptions like yeah. from their own perspective. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's really it's really nicely written and a really great way to, like, create this sort of character conflict without mm-hmm. having to, like, force it or without selling anybody out or really making it. No one's in the wrong with it. Everyone, yeah. like, based on the information that they have is is making the decisions and having feelings that they that it makes sense that they would be having at the time. You know, yep. Peter could have handled things a little bit better, but <laughs> I understand. But I didn't like, even think of that point that. where you were saying Peter thought Dr. Connors was there. So, you know, I hadn't even, that didn't even cross my mind mm-hmm. that from Peter's perspective, he wouldn't need to call the police because there was somebody there to do that. Right. But if he was a mature adult, he still would have uh-huh. like given Dr. Connors or somebody a heads up and be like, Hey, I was there. I saw this. Is it okay if I, send these pictures to the bugle. Oh, yeah. Can I have your consent this time <laughs> for showing yeah. your, your like the, a bad thing that happened to you to the world? Uh-huh. Consider <laughs> I'm taking a picture of your lab from a point of view that is not accessible to the public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just on your roof taking pictures through your skylight. No big deal. <laughs> God, Peter, you're so bad at this. Creep. <laughs> anyway, so at the Daily Bugle, Peter is pretty pissed about yes. the headline so he confronts jonah which is a kind of a big deal i don't think we've really seen him so directly confront jj up until this point but in this case according to peter like he did everything right so like mm-hmm. why are you still painting spidey as the thief um so he he tell he says to jonah that he's printing flat out lies and insists like i was there i was taking the pictures i saw spider-man trying to stop black cat and i know i know that they didn't leave together there's a really funny bit of animation as uh, as peter's explaining this um and they have him like act out fighting while he's talking about them sparring <laughs> it's really cute actually um he's very excited <laughs> he's very animated in this moment he's passionate <laughs> yes yes i mean it makes sense it's yeah. weird but like i'm not i'm not mad about it i think it actually works for him um and his energy and and he also was just like dude just talk to dr connors he was there like he he was there too but then jonah reveals to peter that Dr. Connors only discovered the theft the morning of the story, which is like, what? No, he was literally there. Well, and Peter even says, like, why would Dr. Connors lie about that? Yeah, he would have no reason to. Yeah, and at this point in the episode, I mean, I'm just watching it and being like, yeah, why would he lie about that? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is cool. It's it's I like being taken on a journey like that. And this first episode actually does a really good job of just sort of like, taking you along without broadcasting too much ahead of time, mm-hmm. which I like. Yeah, yeah, because there's really no indication of the direction this episode is going to take from the nope. opening minutes of it at all. Like, even, you know, you know, like, oh, it's going to be a black suit episode, but it doesn't yeah. feel like that at all. The black suit no. stuff is really kind of just takes a back seat towards everything else. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of like an overlap with the next episode so that the next episode isn't 
just like oh Annie gets a black suit and then all this stuff happens right you know right. it's 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 definitely a setup like it's it's in the way that like the show always does kind of your background and foreground stories mm-hmm. in this case they just don't really have like a high school story going on so the background story that would normally be like who's Peter gonna date is instead right. just just like this black suit kind of slowly taking mm-hmm. over but not really having much of an impact on the main plot at this point right very very well done yes very well done so we get our answer and our kind of our big turn in this episode when we cut to a dilapidated storefront barber shop and we see dr connor's reading the bugle except it's not dr connor's because he takes off his entire face to reveal yo <laughs> yo i was dumbfounded oh nice <laughs> Nice. They took me on the journey, and I fell directly into the hole. <laughs> I love, uh, I love. See, and I, re- I remember watching this episode, and that was in the description that I had read before going into oh. it that this was going to be the episode of Black Cat and Chameleon. So it's got to be so fun having oh. no knowledge that he would be a character, because yet yeah, there's no indication that that's what's going on until Doctor Cotter's face comes off of his body. <laughs> well, and that's two of four characters I had no idea were going to be in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't know Black Cat was going to be in this. So I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, hey, that's cool. I, I wasn't expecting that. This will be fun. So that I thought that was going to be the, the sort of unexpected character. And then we get Chameleon, and I literally yelled in my apartment like, what? <laughs> 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 yeah, because you also it expect awesome. like an episode with Black Cat is going to be enough. Like, oh, he's just yeah. going to have to chase down Black Cat. That's the episode. Yeah. You don't expect them. That's not. She's not even the main villain at all, actually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we didn't say this at the top of this, but this episode packs in a ton of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really great, uh, and it's 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 just it's such a well-written episode, just yep. over in general. Really handles the stuff really well. But yeah, so it's Chameleon. Chameleon's here. He answers a phone call and delivers the news that his attempt at stealing the use was a failure, and just mentions that a known competitor beat him there by mere minutes. So it's a really it's a really cool idea, and actually makes a lot of sense that if something as huge as alien life was discovered and criminals wanted to steal it it makes sense that like more than one criminal would want to steal it like yes it actually would be kind of weird if only one person tried to take it so yeah it's really really clever i do like that he specifically says a known competitor though because it means that um you know the only people that we've seen thus far in this episode trying to steal it are chameleon and black cat so the 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 assumption there is that he's aware of black cat yeah. Um, and that they are, at least in one direction to this point, competitive to one another. He knows who she is. Mm-hmm. And it, it brings a little bit of life to the whole criminal underworld of it. Because at, yeah. this, at this point, you know, we know about, like, the big man and stuff. But, like, this is just like, oh, no. There's all this crazy, like, colorful supervillain stuff happening on, like, on the underground that Spider-Man and us have, like, no awareness of whatsoever. But it's all happening. And they all have a history. Right. It. And thus far, it's never really needed to overlap with anything else so peter wouldn't know about it and the everyday person wouldn't know about it you know right it's only because spider-man and these supervillains begin to emerge in a more public manner that some of this stuff ends up becoming exposed <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yeah the other thing that's real cool in this scene is that there are two other characters or two other men specifically working for chameleon and there are people that if you know spider-man you would recognize mm-hmm. them 
(laughs) (laughs) More screaming in my apartment. (laughs) It's so genius to have them, though, because if you think about it, like, Chameleon's always been kind of a weird character in that, like, he has to have so much expertise on so many things. He's not just a master of disguise. Like, he's got to have so much knowledge of all of this equipment and stuff like that. So it makes a lot of sense that, no, he'd actually have help and have people that specialize in effects work to make it like to, hmm. to, uh, for like optical illusions <laughs> and someone who actually can build like good technology and stuff which yeah. enter someone with the last name of mason um <laughs> who has mechanical ability and hmm. someone named beck who has special effects expertise huh we know those names <laughs> <laughs> yeah he specifically says mason i need all your mechanic uh, ability and beck your special effects expertise so I guess because we both know who they are, we may as well just, like, mention the significance. Yeah. But, guys, Mason is the tinkerer and Beck is Mysterio. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> they aren't yet, but mm-hmm. they are, they've been introduced into this universe uh, in a very cool, clever way. Mm-hmm. What a what a weird, fun trio. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's so, it's so fascinating because I don't know, I mean, I don't know at what point in the comics if they've ever been together doing stuff because there's such no a idea. there's such a like disparate like types of villains but mm-hmm. it's cool and i mean it's something that's like played on what the show has done before but it's doing it in a little different way at this point because we've seen plenty of characters like appear pre becoming a supervillain or superhero or whatever yeah but they're always like main characters like it's Eddie Brock he's part of the main cast it's doc yeah. it's like Dr. Octavius but and he's like in many episodes so it's really cool to have like what could otherwise just be like nameless mooks who are just kind of helping out the main bad guy. It's yeah. really cool that no, they're instead used um, <laughs> to, to introduce other potential future villains that we're all aware of. So then when they do ultimately get introduced, if they get introduced, we already have a little of a basis for who they, who they are. Maybe you'll see them later. Maybe you won't. Yeah. I mean, in this show has really benefited from making sure it kind of paves the way for the things that it's doing. It does. It yeah. very rarely just introduces a new character and has their entire origin story in the first episode that are introduced in usually get to know them a little bit up to it. And then finally, when the turn happens, you've already kind of seen their origin. You just see the turn for whatever they end up turning into, you know? So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really well done. Just another example of how well written this show is. Take a drink. I said it again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, Beck does ask chameleon what he has in mind for his plan. And chameleon basically says, He's got someone different this time around in mind. So you're like, hmm, he's got he's going to transform into somebody. Who's it going to be? We'll find out soon enough. <laughs> yeah. So after that, we cut to Spidey swinging through the city, wondering how he's going to clear up his reputation. As he lands atop a building to ponder, his suit begins to transform. It becomes covered in the black life form until he is fully monochromatized into a black version of his former self. Indeed. And pretty much right after that happens, uh, Black Cat sneaks up on Spidey and says, I like the new look. To which he's like, huh? <laughs> he just what, hasn't what looked, new look? He clearly hasn't looked at his hands for the last, like, ten minutes, I guess. But Yeah. <laughs> and he, they do a good job of, like, having him sort of, you know, exploring an inner monologue about his reputation and how much, you know, how much he sort of stepped in it personally, but also how much mm-hmm. the bugles exacerbated that. So he's he's at least preoccupied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can buy it. It's just funny, like you're so oblivious, like oh, <laughs> constantly. For real. God, thank God you have a spider sense, or else you just be screwed. Oh my gosh, you'd be squashed already. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but so after she calls him out, he does um he does like kind of notice that he's got like something different about his suit, but he doesn't really uh uh, or no, I guess he doesn't notice it yet because first she mentions that she's been looking for him because she also doesn't like being blamed for crimes she didn't commit and is like, hey, I know that I, like, I didn't steal it. I know that you didn't steal it. It must really bother you being a hero and all. But that's the point. <laughs> that's I the, like that. I do too. It's yeah. a very, like, I know that this is such an obvious comparison for obvious reasons, but I've, I've always liked that... Uh, Black Cat and Catwoman are so unabashedly in the gray area that they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they know they're criminals. They they know they're thieves. They have no qualms about it. They're not trying to say, like, they're actually right or they're actually the good guys. And I just love that. Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot, too. And I think it kind of it, that helps the characters have a little bit of extra, like, insight and awareness because they don't have any kind of hang-ups or yes. questions about who they are, what they're doing. It's just like, yeah, I mean... I like stealing stuff. Whatever. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they have a better sense of right and wrong because they're so aware of where they fall and what other people's perceptions of them and themselves are, you know? Yeah, that's like, true. Like, I know you think I'm a bad guy, but you don't really get it. And I know you think you're the good guy, but there's more to it than you think. <laughs> right. Also, at some point in the scene, I don't remember where it is, but at some point, Black Cat calls Spidey Swinger, which I appreciate. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, it's at this point when, when Spidey kind of notice does finally notice that his suit has changed, um, which she's like, uh, that's weird. He does kind of figure out that it's it must be something with the life form taking mm-hmm. over his suit or whatever. They do the whole little shtick like they did in the 90s show and like they did in Spider-Man 3 where he hangs upside down and looks at his reflection in the in the building windows, which is just pretty much iconic for uh, for a black suit story at this point. Yeah, it's um, sort of like its own Spider-Man No More moment where they just, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, and it works. I, I, I feel it. It's cool. Oh, yeah. And uh, as he's as he's hanging there, Black Cat follows him and asks him if they're going to be bad guys together, partner, or just plain bad. <laughs> and not just the line, but she she joins him upside down with like her little grappling rope thing. <laughs> and as they're hanging there, there's this shot of his web and her sort of grapple cord thing and they're just spinning and intertwining slowly like as she's very sensually talking to him about being bad that's not a (laughs) metaphor (laughs) not at all (laughs) oh boy i'm getting hot uh, <laughs> so Spidey whips off, um, of course, preoccupied by the fact that, you know, he's wearing this alien life form, but also that, like, he didn't steal it. Like, it's, it, it stole him. Yeah. He says many <laughs> times over the course of these episodes, I didn't steal it. I didn't take it. Right. right? I didn't take it. <laughs> right. But as is part of the course for a Spider-Man show, there is a plane in the sky and the plane is going down <laughs> because no aircrafts can ever fly in a Spider-Man yeah. show. It's just so impossible. weird. Huh. <laughs> alternate universe where nothing can stay flying <laughs> yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he's he's swinging away from black cat just sort of like totally shook from this black suit situation and he does encounter that plane that's about to crash land of course um it's headed towards central park this is wild <laughs> because spider-man is like moved to action because he's spider-man but also has like a personal connection to the situation which we did not know about right we have not heard anything about this we 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 get this like inner monologue thought thing where peter basically says like his and eddie's parents died in a plane crash and he can't ever let that happen again 
And it's like, wait, hold up, pause? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> and I don't know, I don't really get what the reason was for that, because it gets reestablished by Eddie in the next episode anyway. Yeah. No, you know what? I just figured it out. I just came up with an idea, okay. and I'll bring it up when we get to that point. Never okay. mind. I sort of get the thematic reason for it. Okay, but well, it I is, look forward to it. <laughs> it is kind of, it, but it is kind of a, like a weird addition because, like, yeah, like that's kind of a bomb to drop right now. Like, uh-huh. I mean, not that you know, in in most Spider-Man mythos, I think, or a lot of them. They died, you know, his parents died in a plane crash, but like the way that it's delivered and then also tying it into to Eddie's parents, which that's existed in the ultimate continuity, but like not other, no other continuity, you know, of his, of both yeah. of their parents dying. So it's just like, okay, you well, it, brought that it's up. Still, it feels like, um, even though it's a common origin element, it doesn't feel nearly on the same level as Uncle Ben. You know what I mean? We're like, yeah. you can just reference Uncle Ben and like the average person walking down the street would be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm, that's so sad. Um, I don't think you could do that with this detail. That's true. <laughs> I mean, if you watch like the Raimi trilogy, like and someone asks you how the parents died, like if they only ever watched those movies, even if yeah. they like knew them and loved them, they couldn't tell you how they died. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so, yeah, that's interesting, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just so wild that it was just, <laughs> just like in this in. moment where it's like. All right, so that's that's what we're doing in this one. <laughs> so yeah, um, but you know, as expected, Spider-Man is able to stop the plane from crashing, and in a pretty cool action sequence um, where he's he's pretty consistently kind of like in Spider-Man Three, he's pretty consistently commenting on like I couldn't jump that high before. Whoa, wow, that's cool. I can uh, I can do that now. Like I I don't think my web can go that far, and then it does anyway. You know, mm-hmm. so. He's he's realizing that the uh, that the ooze was able to kind of augment his spiderness, as he says. Yes, yes, and he he uses this realization to sort of further rationalize having it in the first place. Because you know he feels guilty about having it, but is also like, I didn't steal it though. So when he finds out that it augments his powers, he's like, Well, if if I have it, I could save more people, and like that's good. And if I'm saving more people and fighting more crime, like I could take more pictures, and that's that's good too. So maybe it's, he specifically says, like, maybe it's okay that I sort of unintentionally stole the slime. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. <laughs> but I get it. You yeah. Know? Like, especially when, you know, we've we've talked, especially when we were talking about the 90s show, about how the relationship to the symbiote can be, and sometimes is pretty blatantly an addiction metaphor. So if he's getting the first taste of something that is making him feel really good and really strong and has sort of a a high element to it, it makes sense he's rationalizing trying to keep it. (laughs) And I I appreciate that we don't really know how much of this is him and how much of of this is the symbiote because it it just bonded with his suit and we don't really get a lot in these episodes of like the symbiote necessarily like making him think things like we get hints that it's probably happening but it's never really like we never really get clear like points when it's like oh well that's clearly like the alien making him say something evil or whatever because it's not really happening mm, um so I, it's I like i think it i think it happens well, a little bit we do we do but it takes a little bit like we don't really get much of much of that in this episode yeah until, it's like, not immediate 
So, uh, yeah, we do get it in the next episode. That's true. Actually, we get it a lot in the next episode. But, <laughs> but um, in this one, I think it's uncl- – I like that it's unclear, like, how much of this is Peter just really rationalizing himself and how much the ooze is influencing him this early, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. I can, I can sort of buy Peter being a little bit selfish and trying to rationalize it because he does tend to do that. Well, and that's that's a big theme of this episode, so it absolutely makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so after this plane rescue situation, um, and actually after nearly bringing it back to Connor's lab, because his little thing about like, maybe it's fine that I stole it was actually in front of their lab. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he made it all the way to the lab and still decided not to return it. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely got to be the symbiote influence mm. then at that point. Well, and well, there, so he, there is a weird moment in that little monologue where he says, maybe it's better for everyone if I don't return it. And then he says, of course, it's not really my call. And then mm-hmm. I think he says, maybe in a slightly almost different voice, and it was the right call or something like yes. that. It's a very, very yes. weird line that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I think, until later, unless there's an interpretation that you have that I wasn't picking up on. Well, I think, no, I, I think it was just, it was, it's a cool misdirect because the scene, like it, it's a, it's a cut. So there's clearly like time that passes when he comes back home. Yeah. And this thing, of course it was the right call, which I just took it as like, he changes his mind. And then it's just kind of, um, it's not really clear. Like when we were actually hearing this, this monologue. So. <laughs> yeah. It's not like he's been narrating this story as if it already happened. <laughs> right. Which I think is, I think that's a little bit intentional because that, that creates that kind of misdirect where it's sort of like, you're leading up to like, well, when, so okay i guess he is gonna he's gonna try to return it and then he can't get it off or something like that but then the scene just cuts and it's just like "Mm, i decided not to (laughs) like i actually think that's that's kind of a clever way to do it because i think i i almost feels like how it would be if you had the symbiote in your head where there's kind of just a missing piece in between like when you're thinking as yourself and what it's influencing what you're thinking yeah you're just like suddenly like no, but yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, even though it's a complete turn from what you were just thinking. Right, right. You don't acknowledge the sort of turn. It just is what it is in that moment. Right, right. And, you know, obviously it's like kind of off-putting and weird to us, but in his head, he just doesn't even like realize that there is anything off about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, later that night, he ends up returning home and finds an exhausted Aunt May in the kitchen. She says she's been testing recipes all day. Um, There's like... 15 pots like steaming pots just around <laughs> yes. the kitchen it is this a reference to something <laughs> i don't i don't get it what is I she do, doing no, I, don't. <laughs> I don't i i i the only thing that i can guess is that like it just came off as weirder than it was supposed to and it was more that we're just that maybe that maybe the excuse that she was testing recipes maybe she literally was doing that um and the thing that we're supposed to get is that like she's almost fainting from it and getting weak or whatever because like what happens in the next episode spoiler alert she has a heart attack which like that wouldn't be caused from you like right that, the symptoms of having a heart attack wouldn't be like you get like having dementia and cooking a lot yeah. or something like that so i, yeah, I don't get that, that okay either. when when i first watched this i was like oh no i was actually like a little bit devastated because i was like uh like She's doing something that's sort of out of the ordinary and like not really in touch with reality for two people living just by themselves. And then she leaves the stove on and Peter has to sort of turn it off for her because she forgot that it was on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, oh, man, like we're going to see the decline of Aunt May and they're going to kind of go, like you said, sort of a dementia route. 
But then the next episode is something completely unrelated in a heart attack. I think I don't know if there's yeah. a connection between those two ailments. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, don't think I don't so. Really... I think they're entirely different things. Right, right. And you even see a pretty like direct cause that like yeah. oh, she was she was feeling tired and then stress like caused it to happen. Like I get that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird connection that I don't <laughs> I really don't get. And I and it almost wonder if it was like it was written to be a little more straightforward, but then like the performances made it come off like she was trying to cover or, or being a little off when it was more like, no, she was testing recipes, yeah, maybe. but then almost passed out because <laughs> she's just starting to feel weak because like uh, like her heart's starting to give out or whatever. Like, yeah, I guess just don't think too much like about that. it, right? <laughs> it does not come off like that no. at all, though. <laughs> no, it comes off as like really devastating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In any case... Elsewhere, after Peter kind of helps helps Aunt May to bed, we see a red and blue suited Spider-Man who's like slightly taller than the Spider-Man we're familiar with. And he is robbing a bank. That's weird because Spider-Man was just wearing a black suit. Huh. Huh. And usually he doesn't rob banks either. Oh, yeah, so. I guess that too. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a classic um, scenario of Spider-Man robbing a bank. <laughs> yep. Yep, you know, that old that old story. Mm-hmm. Well, the next day at school, Flash is trying to defend Spider-Man. So this bank robbery happened. The newspaper's already talking about it. He's trying to defend Spider-Man from Sally, who, again, fucking sucks. Sucks. So bad. She's just, like, openly making fun of Flash in the hallway. Which, granted, Flash is a bully, like, you know, but, but nobody, like, really deserves to be bullied. And this isn't something that he should be bullied for. No. Because he's right. Like, it's his hero, and he's trying to defend him, and Sally's being a huge bitch about it. Yup. <laughs> Peter walks into the situation, learns of the bank robbery. You know, Flash is just like, dude, the Spider-Man in the picture is not the same Spider-Man. Look at it. It doesn't look like him. Anyone can dress in the costume. I like that he references that Peter was literally just in a Spider-Man yeah. costume in the last episode. Yeah. Um, like, anybody can do it. It's not a, it's not a big deal. And Peter uh, examines the Bugle photos, and it reveals at least one clue yes i like this a lot because even though we don't get the full-on you know flash starts a fan club type thing he's been like a pretty pretty big supporter of spider-man so it makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense that that flash would be like no these pictures aren't right like i know it seems dorky but like i could tell you exactly what his suit's supposed to look like and exactly what the emblem's supposed to look like and exactly what his equipment or lack thereof is supposed to look like you know what i mean right right (laughs) so it's the right person to be doing this for sure yeah i like it a lot and i like that um the way that chameleon in the spider suit is like first of all you know he is taller than Mm spider-man but the way that he's drawn is almost like he's almost drawn like a more traditional spider-man than traps though he's got some big old traps (laughs) 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 my god yeah he's sort of like a fuller face and a stronger jaw yeah it's like like yeah like you said more of a classic classic silhouette yeah which is which is fun like i I like that they're kind of playing with that and it's such and it's such a clever like a it's this whole thing is really clever because you get your traditional like chameleon spider-man versus spider-man spider-man except Spider-Man's in the black suit. Chameleon's a little taller. So it's like really obvious to distinguish them between each other. But yet the conflict is still there. Like it doesn't change the fact that it's still Spidey versus Spidey, which is really cool. Well, one thing that's very awesome about these two episodes is that they, they do something that I would never have expected, which is to allow the black suit story to tell unrelated stories better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the black suit story is so iconic and recognizable and such a fan favorite that you wouldn't think of using it simply as a device to do other things 
But the fact that he's in the black suit for both of these episodes allows them to strengthen sort of traditional or almost cliche situations, which is awesome. I really, really like that they were willing to do that. Yeah, that's so true. It's it's really genius. Yeah, you're right, because it's uh, you almost would expect like, well, it's the black suit stuff. It's got to have its own episode. Mm -hmm. It's got to be all about the black suit for the whole arc. But it's like, no, it doesn't doesn't have to be like that this can like like the suit augments peter's powers it can augment the storyline right. of the show in right general. well it's funny because chameleon has this what should be nearly foolproof plan but it doesn't work in a hilarious way like his his suit that's supposed to imitate spider-man is no longer accurate yeah yeah <laughs> so he just like genius. has a wrong suit <laughs> right right oh, it's so funny so at another bank, we learn the truth about the phony Spidey, which I, you know, that happened out real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Mason and Beck are there, which this is cool. I love that he has he has accomplices. Yes. So make it, Mason and Beck um, not only like build this equipment for him, they also pretend to be hostages. So the spider-suited chameleon can use things like spring-loaded feet to to jump and kick and and stuff suction cupped fingers to climb wrist mounted grappling gun to imitate the webbing which honestly should be the most immediate giveaway <laughs> right but i guess right. people don't really know how spider-man works if you're not like a police officer on the scene yeah like um, the average person you know spider-man has really only been around for a few months at this point yeah. the average person isn't go- going to have interacted with him and even if they have they're not really getting a close-up look at everything that he does True. so yeah yeah I think is I think this is the scene where he says my insect early warning system is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny because he shouldn't even really yeah. know about it, but I don't care because it's such yeah. a good line. It's a great line. Yeah, <laughs> I love that yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I like the way that they handle it. I don't, maybe maybe this it might happen a little bit later actually that it that that line happens. But either way, um, I like the way they handle it is by having like B- Mason or Beck like see stuff that's happening behind him yep. so then they can be like they can cue him in and then make it look like it's a premonition deal so yeah he has like a little cool. earpiece that they're talking to him with right right it's real it's real cool i love it but yeah so so while that's going on peter confronts jonah again and learns that an anonymous source is providing jonah the pictures of the bank robbery which i think we saw in the previous scene that um mason is taking pictures of what's going on so he can send these pictures out to the newspapers to to mess up Spidey's uh, reputation and also like hammer in that like Spidey's a bad guy now Mm -hmm. so they can keep up the charade. Well, and Jonah loves this because he doesn't really care where the pictures are coming from as long as they serve his purpose. So he even says like, uh, it's like, I'm getting them from Joe Anonymous and they're free. It's great. (laughs) Right. He, He even says something about like, I wish I had written the whole quote. I just wrote the response to it. But basically says, like, we can finally get that Spider-Man jailed and run out of town. And then Peter mutters. I love this is so good. Just like mutters, like, how can he be jailed and run out of town? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Oh, my God. No, that reminds me earlier. There's so many good, like, interactions between Peter and JJ in this episode. Earlier, there's the whole bit. Where JJ says a whole bunch of stuff about getting Peter out of the, out of his office, like yeah. like like one word get like or two <laughs> words get out, or how about seventeen? Oh my blah, 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 I'll stifle you to a flagpole. And Peter's like, "How did you count so many words so fast?" <laughs> <laughs> it was really really good. Yeah, their interactions in these episodes are so good. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so um, so yeah, but uh, but Spidey's uh, Peter has figured out that like there's something fishy going on. Um, so that evening he sets out to find his impersonator, but he runs into Black Cat 
again. Mm -hmm. He claims that he's not the one robbing banks, and she actually believes him. She knows what's up. She's a professional burglar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she's like, she's like, it's obvious. Black is the new red and blue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, and then Spidey delivers a very ominous. I'll turn him black and blue if I could find him. It's like, whoa, that's a very violent thing for Spider-Man to say, huh? Uh-huh. Huh. Uh-huh. I wonder where that's coming from. Yeah, this is a good, um, this is a good slow burn in my opinion. Yes. And I, I feel like it would work even if you didn't already know what happens you know what i mean yeah like if you were to introduce this to a kid who didn't really know i think they would still be able to parse out the fact that that peter's acting a little weird mm-hmm. by the end of at, even this first episode oh definitely yeah I, I think the slow burn is the best it's it's been it's done up to this point like from any other iteration it's very good because it's it's very subtle mm-hmm. it's little things like that where it's like of course he's mad you know he's already mad mm-hmm. so this is a thing you would say when you're mad but if you've really been paying mm-hmm. attention to the types of things he says and the and his ty- the types of intentions he has, you know, his goal is never to just like beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> it's to stop crime or to do the right thing. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um well, we got a cool sequence where uh, where Black Cat does actually know where to find him. Um it's a really nice like I love I love Black Cat's acrobatic movements and the way that they animate her so gracefully as she's just kind of like like lightly leaping off, off of buildings with her grappling hook and, and running on the sides of buildings with mm-hmm. spider-man it's really beautifully animated these two episodes in general really show off the benefits of the style that they chose the mm-hmm. animation in these two episodes especially the next one is just <laughs> it's at an absolute feast oh yes uh it's it's beautiful it's so beautiful but the whole sequence, they're they're running together. It's like a, a dialogueless sequence too. Like Black Cat doesn't even really tell him, "Let's go find your imposter." She's just like, I don't remember what she says, but it's just sort of like, mm, "I know," mm-hmm. and then just runs off. Spidey chases her. It's like a good like minute or so of just them like running on buildings as they're running together, and it's just like it's a really just a really neat like beautiful scene. There are some very cool anime inspired moments in both of these episodes. Some yes. general and some very specific. Um, and I think this scene that you're talking about is is probably sort of just like a generally anime-inspired scene, and it really, really works. Yeah, because she doesn't move like a person would if they were running and jumping off a building. She like has like a, like much less. There's like no gra- like very little gravity. Yeah. Um, underneath of underneath her, but it makes it just look so cool. Yeah, and, so and then him catching up in the background, you can almost imagine them Naruto running through the forest together. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> But all of this is so she can lead Spidey to the what what she believes is the imposter's next heist, which she says is a boat full of overdressed fat cats. Yeah, because he's like, how would you know? And she's like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thief. Look, look at what we're looking at. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> she also notices a, a fancy tiger jewel worn by Mayor Waters. Um, and she has like this really funny, uh, really funny sound when she sees it. She just sees it. It's just like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's excited about that jewelry. <laughs> yes. Excited. <laughs> Have we seen Mayor Waters before? No, this is her first okay. time on the show. Eh, I mean, oh, fun, fun fact. She's just a, she's a minor character, yeah. but she's voiced by um oh god, what is her name? It's ba- BJ I want to see BJ Novak, but that's the car- that's the guy in the office. <laughs> That'd be very impressive if it was BJ Novak. Wow, good <laughs> <Yeah>. job, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not him. It's BJ something. Oh god, but she um, she voiced Velma in a lot of Scooby Doo iterations. In oh, the, that's in, like, fun. The late nineties. Yeah. Huh. Nice. 
Anyway, this is a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, she's wearing that fancy tiger jewel and spider, uh, spider man. I, I don't know what I was, just, I was going to just call him spider, <laughs> but uh, Spidey warns black cat, like no door prizes. You can't steal the fancy tiger jewel. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so uh, we, we kind of get our assortment of characters that are going to be on this boat during the final sequence. Mayor Waters, Captain Stacy is there um, and Jonah are all present. And they also discuss like whether or not Spider-Man actually did have a heel face turn captain stacy doesn't really think that it's that it's actually spider-man because it's very uncharacteristic of what he's seen of spider-man at this yeah point. i want to point out i don't know why i didn't point this out before for whatever reason this episode made it super obvious to me that captain stacy is voiced by the same guy who voices a character in the jackie chan adventures because it's like oh, nice. the exact same delivery <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, it's Captain Black. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, two yeah. captains. That's I know. Funny. Yeah. So you have something to look forward. There's a little bit of Clancy Brown in your future, perhaps. I'm excited for that. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, inside the boat itself, um, we see Mayor Waters greet Norman Osborne, who's just shown up to make a contribution, support um, whatever campaign this is. Um, but he quickly excuses himself to the bathroom where we learn, dun, 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 it's not Norman at all. What? It's Chameleon, who then transforms from Norman into the red and blue Spider-Man. Uh-oh. And then, along with him, uh, Beck, who is disguised as a server, offers Demitas to the, one of the police officers patrolling the ship. Do you know? I don't know. I, I meant to look it up. It's, what is Demitas? It's, it's just, just tiny like it's coffee. Drink. So it's, it's like coffee. A, okay, <laughs> like an espresso kind of deal. Yeah. Okay. I don't know cool. why they're calling it Demitas other than to sound fancy. <laughs> I think it just sounds, it's probably just a fun thing to say. Yeah. Because I guess <laughs> if you than... said you want some coffee, uh, people <laughs> wouldn't be as eager to, to take your 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 coffee. <laughs> right. Right. And it is, a, it is a fancy, fancy event with a bunch of fat cats. Yes, so it makes sense. Indeed. They're all pretentious. <laughs> well, Black Cat and Spider-Man make their way to this fancy event, but they do it on a freaking jet ski. I what, guess what? Black Cat has a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Hey, she's cool. like crime pays. I know, whatever. right? <laughs> <laughs> and so she, she basically drops him off at the, uh, the boat and he discovers the officer we just saw asleep on the floor. Uh-oh. But not before another risque exchange between uh, Black Cat and Spider-Man. Which I really mm-hmm. liked, and it took me a second. It took me longer than it should have to uh, catch on to this exchange. <laughs> it's only a few lines. <laughs> but Black Cat, while they're on the jet ski, says, hold on tight. And Spider-Man says, don't worry, I don't slip. And she says, not why I said that. <laughs> but then that could have been enough. That would have been fun. But then Spider-Man responds with, uh... We're close enough, which initially I thought he meant the boat, but I'm pretty sure he's just sort of catching on to what's going on and is like, ah, maybe not. (laughs) Yep. And then after he jumps off, Black Cat is clearly just looking at his butt. Checking it out. (laughs) And says, mmm, my kitty sense is purring. Spoiler alert, Black Cat, he's 16. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? She doesn't know. She doesn't know everybody. <laughs> he probably he probably does have a really well toned butt for being like considering he's Spider Man. Well, sure. So I don't blame her. You know, I I kind of want to go back and check to see if they are are they sort of like gradually improving his physique. Oh, you know, hmm. I th- I'm not I don't know. Confident. If they... I just have recently been noticing it more. Huh. 
I didn't really pick up on that. At least in the black suit, it might be that they might be drawing a few more lines on him okay. to, to show the muscles. I don't think he's necessarily like, I don't think his mass is getting any note any bigger, or at least I haven't noticed it. Well, it could be maybe in previous episodes, they haven't shown him shirtless and he wears baggy clothes. So it could be that we've oh. just never seen his body. I think that's all it is. I think they're they're doing what they um, what they kind of purposely did in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, where yeah, they put him in baggy clothes, and I think for him, he's intentionally trying to hide all the muscles that he has. Mm. So that's why we only see it like when he's sleeping, essentially. It would also um, explain so, why yeah. everybody was so impressed with the way he quote filled out the Spider-Man suit on Halloween. Exactly. They've never right, seen him outside exactly. of baggy clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Yeah. So as Mayor Waters finishes making a toast on the boat, uh, Beck delivers the demitas to the remaining officers, and then the lights go out, and guess who shows up? Imposter Spider-Man shows up, which we know at this point is Chameleon, of course. Mm-hmm. He demands everybody's valuables, he ties up Captain Stacy, and as he collects the loot from his passengers, Captain Stacy starts to think, hmm, isn't that guy maybe a little too tall to be the real deal? <laughs> so he's now that he's seen him in person he's like pretty pretty sure yes yes good observation captain stacy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's why you're the captain yep (laughs) (laughs) now just then the real spider-man swings through the window to confront his impersonator and of course understandably he is asked about his costume like you didn't even get the costume right dude spidey says i'm in mourning for my buried rep Good deli- such a good delivery such a teenage punk ass delivery it's really good <laughs> i've seen people use it as like a gift reply <laughs> that's amazing well that is except i mostly see them use it for like uh if it's a cartoon or a spider-man cartoon or spider-man movie they don't like that's coming out oh. <laughs> especially if they're like spectacular spider-man stands Oh, I hate how clever that is. Damn I know, it. I know. So that's less cool. It's still very clever. And I, I, don't, I don't hate that. But yeah. I do also hate that. But uh, it's a good gif. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Spidey also says that um, it's just like Picklepus here will be when he's forced to write a retraction, which uh, signals to Jonah that he's the real deal, pretty much, because he immediately smart. just goes off on Spidey like usual. Very smart, Peter. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done this before. I think, um, was it, uh... The 90s show. The 90s oh, it was the show. 90s show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Jonah is able to immediately identify the right Spider-Man because of the quips and the obnoxious <laughs> attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, no one could be this annoying to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So after, after this wonderful, um... <laughs> This interaction with Jonah where, you know, he talks about the retraction and Jonah, of course, is like, I would never write a retraction. Spider-Man knocks out the phony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, Beck is still there. He drops a smoke bomb demitas, which so many demitas. I know. How does probably... he know which one's which? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Like, what if you accidentally drink the wrong one? And it's just oh, like, God. how does this just taste like like gunpowder? <laughs> breathing smoke. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> but either way, it allows him, Chameleon, and uh, also Mason to slip away. 
Yes. Um, Mason, who was kind of outside on the deck, I guess, calls for a speedboat and sets this little like flying laser shooting drone on Spider-Man to sort of give them more time. Um, it does manage to cut into the black suit before Spider-Man ends up destroying it in a single clap, which is actually a very cool moment. It's really cool. Because you kind of see him tracking it with like in his line of sight. And then he does this weird sort of like backbend thing while he's hanging off the side of the boat and just kind of Hulk smashes it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. It's, it's really, really cool. And then after, you know, smashing the drone that just cut his suit, he pauses to watch the suit repair itself. Hmm. That's, Haven't I mean, seen that cool. before. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, but um, that's weird. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's weird though, because like specifically in this circumstance, because Peter is, I'm trying to think, like, he doesn't fully understand what's happening to his suit until later, but he's aware of the fact that it's related to the goop, which he understands is alive. Yeah. So it's kind of a strange middle understanding that we don't normally see. I feel like in the 90s show, it was like, I have no idea what's going on, but it's great. Yeah. And then there's like a moment of horror when he realizes what it is, which is a is an, is the case in at least some of the comics as well, where it's like, I have no idea what this is, but oh my God, it's alive. Yeah. He's in sort of a middle ground here. It's it's weird. And, and he, I mean, he, he figures it out. Like, I remember earlier on, he figures it out weirdly quickly where he's just like, oh, an alien, an alien ooze just bonded itself, permanently bonded itself to your suit. And it's just like, how did you know it was permanent? Uh, how do you know that the ooze just turned your suit black? Like, he, it's, yeah. it's very, it's very odd. But, but it is interesting that he's just like very slowly learning its powers. And he's not really thinking through the fact that like, you have a living alien on your body right now. Like, yeah, that's weird, so dude. unbothered. Which I, I, I have to wonder if that is a thing that the symbiote is doing to him, like in the same That's way true. that it's sort of kind of, it's 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 kind of making him rationalize things. It's also making yeah. him like not really be bothered by the fact that it's on him, you know? I do like that 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 uh way of thinking about it. Because I think you had mentioned that in the nineties show too. Um and that makes so much sense. Like if 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 the symbiote has the ability to affect your mental capacities in the way that you think of course it's going to sort of affect your perception of it. Yeah. And that, I, I think that makes tons and tons of sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, it makes sure that you're not actually really aware of, of, of the horror that's happening, because that's almost kind of its defense mechanism as, like, mm-hmm. a parasite or, I guess, a symbiote, like, that Yeah. That, that allows it to stay on, you, stay on you because you're not even really aware of what's going on. Yeah. Well, Chameleon hops onto the speedboat, but Mason and Beck are actually stopped um, by Black Cat before they can follow him onto that speedboat. I don't even remember what she says, but it's cool that she's just like, nope, you're <laughs> staying with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that the point when, um, when, uh, when, when, when he says to Black Cat, like, I owe you one, and she's like, at least. Oh, I don't know. I don't, why don't I remember that? Yeah. It's a really, it's a really brief thing, but I think that huh. was, I think that was it. It would make sense. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny. It's interesting because it's like you can't really tell. Like the line delivery almost sounds kind of sinister for her, but she's still. <laughs> but she's also like oh, her. She's always smiling. Like everything yeah. she, she says. So it's just sort of like it could also just be playful. I don't know. Yeah, could be anything. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. We don't. We don't really understand her yet. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of a wild card, which I yeah. like. And it's definitely intentional. 
Well, she's one of the few fully realized characters introduced. You know, like we don't see a a turn into the black cat. She True. just pops up. True. Um, which is fun for this series because it's not what we're used to. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I dig it a lot. So as the speedboat speeds off, Spider-Man webs onto the back of it and basically just water skis behind the boat <laughs> it's so funny. for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yes. It is a long sequence. I, I, uh, so when I, when I'm watching and like writing notes for myself for this podcast, I will use a Chrome extension to slow the video down just a little bit. So it's easier for me to write down dialogue or jot notes down or whatever. Nice. And so typically when something feels like it's taking a long time, I'm like, oh, well, that's just the extension. This though, I was like, oh my God, they are still water skiing. (laughs) Which is, it's so funny to have a (laughs) sequence like that, that you could be like, oh, I guess that's padding or filler or whatever. But in an episode that is like so ridiculously dense, (laughs) like it is such a dense episode. That's true. If you actually timed it, I bet it's not that long at all. It's just the fact that everything else is moving so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Being on, on these like quotes, water skis for like 20 seconds probably feels like an eternity <laughs> well especially because it's it's not that in, i mean it's it's a cool idea but it's not really that interesting to to watch well because he's just he's yeah. just on there i think it's the type of thing that they use because it's just funny enough that you can put up with it but it also allows him to have an inner monologue in the middle of a fight yeah yeah that's true because then it allows because it gives a little bit of exposition i mean it's not anything that we weren't expecting but he's basically right. like oh i think the suit is helping me balance I basically, I couldn't do this without the suit at this point. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So while that's going on, after the water ski thing goes on for a long time. But uh, after he's kind of able to, like, avoid Chameleon's attempts to shake him, he does find an opportunity to launch himself onto the speedboat. And he webs Chameleon up by using his um, spider strength gloves. Which, which we hadn't seen until this moment, yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that, I was, that was, that's why I was, like, I was pausing for a second because I was like, wait, did we not mention that? Oh, wait, no, they didn't mention that. Yeah, we didn't mention it because this is the first time they show up. Which I guess they're underneath his spider suit hands or whatever I get but that because, i don't know because it's because it's the really like weird like awkward thing that like that like it they're really bulky so they're like infinity gauntlets <laughs> yeah yeah they're big <laughs> yeah so but anyway that he really shouldn't have brought him out at this point because that ends up being his downfall because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, spidey makes the gloves short circuit um it incapacitates him long enough to unmask him And nearby, Black Cat looks on as Spider-Man unmasks Chameleon, and she says, My hero. Which is especially fun, because we understood earlier that the Chameleon was aware of Black Cat as a competitor, and now we are watching Black Cat basically allow Spider-Man to take out someone we now understand she viewed probably as a competitor as well. (laughs) So Spider-Man's sort of just done her dirty work a little bit and made her job just a little bit easier. Yep. So shortly after that, as Chameleon, Beck, and Mason are cuffed, and um, as Jonah, Jonah orders a retraction, <laughs> but he like whispers at first, like attraction. Yeah, a retraction <laughs> on page so 42 good. in like four point font. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, in his little Bluetooth headset. Yes, I love it. I love it. You are very, uh, very, very tech forward, Jonah. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, well, while that's going on, uh, Spidey speaks with Captain Stacy. And, you know, Captain Stacy already knew he was innocent, but he kind of firmly establishes, like, yes, I know you are innocent now. Thank mm-hmm. you for what you did. Um, but uh, while he, he, he expresses belief that Chameleon was the one who stole the life form, which prompts Spidey to, like, almost clear the situation up and, and tell him what he did, but instead we get his inner monologue, like, kind of interrupting him uh, before he does it like his inner monologue like kind of bursts in and is like what are you doing you tell the truth they'll take the suit away and you need its power uh to help people (laughs) yep yep to help people definitely to help people (laughs) i love uh, i love this rationalization stuff it's so it's so clever because i I love that they don't so quickly just take it to just like oh he's evil now like I, i really love what the 90s show did with their version and it was really fun and like I love how over the top they went with it, but I really mm-hmm. appreciate this take on it where it's just sort of like this subtle little bit that's just like creeping up onto Peter and just like very slowly just influencing him through making him think that he's making these decisions, not just like taking over his mind and turning him dark or whatever. It's like yeah. very steadily just being like, well, you know, I know you you want to be a superhero. This makes you a better superhero. It's fine. You need this. Yeah. It's cool. It's good. Well, it's really believable too because it's 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 really well-written rationalization because you know, if you have a bad habit or if you have, you know, an actual um like addiction either to tobacco or anything else, um or I guess nicotine. I guess you're not addicted to tobacco. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> if you have some sort of addiction, like frequently you know it's not good for you, but you also then cut into your own thought process to say like, but it does help me relax and that's a good thing. Or it yeah. does make it easier for me to to operate in these social situations and that's a good thing. Yeah. Or it might be a bad habit, but it does make me happy and I I deserve happiness. You know like yes. it's a lot of really realistic type of um writing that they're they're giving him to sort of deliver inside of his own thought process. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yeah, that's actually, that's a really good point. The other additional interesting part with uh, the conversation with Captain Stacy is that he also notes that it's like, he clearly like respects Spider-Man to a certain degree, but he does also add that as long as you wear a mask, people will always wonder. Yeah. Quite a different uh, Captain Stacy than our favorite movies to reference the amazing Spider-Man movies. (laughs) (laughs) Because he clearly, like you said, has has respect for for Spider Man and what he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, he does make a good point that it's like you're still you're still it's still suspicious to uh, to have a secret identity in any case. So mm-hmm. it's that sort of uh, people who wear masks have something to hide. Yep, 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 yep. Well, that conversation is interrupted by Mayor Waters, who's just <laughs> screaming. Oh she my goodness! She is screaming. The so tiger would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> the tiger the tiger it's missing <laughs> when captain stacy uh attempts to confront chameleon assuming that he took it they realize that the chameleon has escaped by impersonating a guard meant to watch him and his cronies beck and mason are still in there but chameleon did get away hmm i like this because it it kind of opens the door for potential black cat and chameleon sort of sequel episode <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like if if the, if they are actually in competition with each other on a regular basis it would be kind of cool to see that play out even more um, or it could just mean another fun chameleon episode i don't know 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's still out there. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. And I also like that he's been separated from his cronies too. So whatever he does next, he will have to do it differently. And even though he obviously can't disguise them with him, I don't know that necessarily changes the resentment you might have for the person who got away when you couldn't. So at the very least, it it creates potential for there to be sort of a, a grudge there, whether or not it actually manifests. Right, right, exactly. Um, so the episode's almost over at this point. Uh, it ends with Spidey, Spidey finding Black Cat. And, and he actually is proposing that she switches sides because she actually, like, they did work together really well. They mm-hmm. beat the bad guys together and she's, uh, they make a great team. She's actually pretty awesome. She doesn't really, like, respond affirmatively, but Spidey does ask why she helped at all. And amazed, she responds... I can't believe you don't know, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's she, like kind of she's she's almost like giving him too much credit. She's like amazed that he didn't pick up on what she was doing. <laughs> ex- yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Which probably should be her first clue that he's younger than she thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, despite that. Oops. <laughs> she still upside down kisses this 16 year old teenager. Um, yep. <laughs> but but she's doing it while admiring her new Tiger Jewel prize. So and, and you know, with with this distraction, while Spidey's all like, whoa, whoa probably with his eyes closed, she she makes off and uh, and um, and, uh, and and escapes from him so he can't follow her. Um, so, you know, she had kind of an ulterior motive with the kiss, even though there's definitely yeah. some sexual tension there. Either way, Spidey is left very pleased, but very confused. Yes. Well, I mean, this is for her specifically, this is great because it means that she, unlike Beck, can just do the same thing again. Because <laughs> uh-huh. if he doesn't know what she's doing and she's just left him sort of under the impression that maybe she did it because she loves him. <laughs> she could take advantage of him over and over and over until he finally catches on. Yup. <laughs> yup. <laughs> oh boy, Peter, you've got so much to learn. <laughs> yep, that's kind of the point of the show, I guess. <laughs> yup. Well, and that's how the episode ends. And of course, we get another uh, spider signal in the sky ending, but it turns black. Oh man, I, <laughs> I must have like put a filter in my brain to just not even notice those anymore. <laughs> so I watched it twice and that was a surprise to me when you said it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. There's even like a dark, like musical sting <laughs> when, when it does it. Doesn't matter. So a couple of things. I meant to mention this at like the top of the episode. I don't know why I forgot. Did you notice in the last episode that we were talking about? I didn't mention it because I wanted to see if you would mention it, but uh black cat makes a cameo in the episode before this, in the uncertainty yeah. principle, I did notice it, and I just, for whatever reason, I just didn't bring it up whenever we were talking about it. I guess <laughs> I just, at the time, chalked it up to you know either a fun cameo for the people writing the show, or just you know we saw in Amazing Friends that there were people dressing like superheroes, even though it wouldn't make sense for anybody to dress like her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could argue um, that it's like a generic a cat burglar costume or something if you wanted to but well one thing that's curious about this <laughs> is that she's dressed like black cat she does have a what's apparently a loot sack that she's carrying <laughs> over her shoulder with an actual like so, money signal on it symbol right. on it <laughs> Did she rob the Midtown High Halloween sale? <laughs> I think she might have and was just like, no one's going to suspect a girl in a costume to have right. done this. So I'm just going to walk out and play in sight because it's fun. 
Especially because she could, like you said, just be like, I'm a cat burglar. Hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, huh. Wow. Stealing from whatever. I guess we technically never had it confirmed that it was charity, but yeah, we assumed it was a charity sort of bake sale. Yeah. Or maybe she stole from like a bank that was near, near the. Uh, and just walked through because, because she could get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I could see that. I could yeah. see that. <laughs> all right. I buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in spite of all that, we've got a couple of faces of the episode. Um, both of them are J. Jonah Jameson because <laughs> his his animation is just like exquisite when he's yelling. You? Yeah. One so of them good. is just a screen cap I got. One of the many times he's yelling at Peter um, where his head, it's like, it's just coming off of the side of the screen. <laughs> Peter's like not even reacting to it at all. But like his, like his neck is stretched out. His jaw is kind of unhinged a little bit. Not as bad as like that other face, the episode a few episodes ago, but mm-hmm. it's still like, like snakehead Jameson is yeah. what I felt like. And the way that his tongue is like curled up inside of his mouth. <laughs> it's like, it's all distorted and weird, but I love it. It's so, it's so great. This show pays a lot of attention to tongues. Yes! Which makes me quiver in anticipation for <laughs> upcoming episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder what you're talking about. Huh. <laughs> this this image that you pulled is basically like a Twitter be like meme. Just <laughs> perfectly encapsulated. Yes. That's so true. <laughs> and then I, like you said, I also found a uh, a Jonah screen grab here. And it is when he is celebrating the fact that he has an anonymous source giving him photos for free which should be suspicious but we know that money uh and the opportunity to trash spider-man makes jonah stupid so uh it's like a picture of him sort of (laughs) i don't even know how to fully describe this but he's holding a he's holding his computer screen that has you know a picture of spider-man robbing a bank he has the biggest grin on his face and then like one of his eyes is like twitching like he's unhinged (laughs) yes it's so good he looks like like a very he looks like a crazy person it's it's yes It's wonderful. It's great. <laughs> uh, this is us trying to get people to watch Spectacular Spider-Man. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so good. Mm-hmm. Well, I am pumped to talk about this next episode. It was so much freaking fun. I don't even know mm-hmm. necessarily how much discussion there is, but holy crap, if this isn't an absolutely amazing episode to watch i like there were certain parts of this next episode that i watched over and over and over because they were just so much fun to watch yeah yeah no seriously and i mean like again i like envy you having never seen this uh, (laughs) show before because i'm sure it was a surprise to like so soon get another doc ock episode first of all yes yes okay and (laughs) oh my gosh yeah and for it to be a sinister six episode just kind of out of nowhere in the midst of like the black costume stuff like ramping up exactly everything you would ever want is happening in this episode yes okay so it is a sinister six episode so we'll just get that right out of the way and i had mentioned in you know when we were talking about episode 10 that this production team is willing to let the black suit enhance other stories Mm -hmm. and and the fact that this is a sinister six episode happening while the black suit stuff is happening is Mm -hmm. brilliant it's so fucking smart because not only do you get the black suit story stuff which everybody's been looking forward to anyway you get to do a sinister six story that actually makes sense because otherwise, without the augmented strength, without the black suit stuff happening, this story would make no sense given 
how Mm -hmm. underdeveloped Peter Parker is as a superhero. So like absolutely stunningly brilliant choice to do this episode during this arc. And my God, did they get away with it so early in the series? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. And it is, it's brilliant. And it's just like, there's finally a formidable opponent for black suited augmented Peter Parker. Like yeah. that's, that's always, I think been kind of the issue is that like, okay, you give fire Spidey, like a, a black suit that's supposed to make him more powerful. He's still just going to be fighting the same villains. He's normally fighting, but like, so in this case, it's just like giving him the worst case scenario. And literally the only way he's able to defeat them is because he happens to have this alien bonded to him that augments his powers. Like pretty sure that he wouldn't have been able to, to, to beat him at all. Oh, if no it wasn't way. for the symbiote, which is right. crazy. Yeah, no, it's these both of these episodes from the villain's perspective are fist shakingly frustrating as heck because like (laughs) both both episodes have pretty solid plans that are totally fucked up simply by the fact that that he has this suit in this moment by sheer coincidence. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, and I, I just I love that so much. So, okay. To actually introduce the episode, we're talking about the Spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man, Season 1, Episode 11. It is called Group Therapy. Um, I don't think too much about the titles before we watch, and I'm glad that I don't, because it's a brilliant title. And I don't know that mm-hmm. I would have necessarily picked up on it, but I, uh, I'm i glad I, I didn't even look at it, uh, just to be safe. <laughs> yep, yep. Because what a nice surprise it is. Oh my this gosh. Is- <laughs> I had so much fun watching these. <laughs> I oh god ah uh, ah uh, god I wish I could have like seen this through your eyes it's so fun the synopsis per Amazon is when the Sinister Six escape from prison with plans to take down Spectacular Spider-Man, they nearly succeed. But when Peter wakes up with no memory of the battle, it's clear that it wasn't him, but the symbiote who took down the Six. So this originally aired on May thirty first, two thousand and eight. It was written by Andrew Robinson and directed by Jennifer Coyle. Mm-hmm. Two people we know a lot about yeah. already. Um, major characters introduced. <laughs> we know all of these. We um, know right. all of them very well. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they've got the sandbox. So they are playing in it now. Yes. Boy, boy, are they playing. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. Let's just do this because I'm so excited. <laughs> unless unless there's anything you want to say about like leading up to this episode, having watched it in real time. Was this like hyped? Was it a surprise? Do you remember it all? You know, no, it wasn't really a surprise because it, it again, it just it said like Sinister Six in the description oh, as you can see. Okay. Um, what was surprising was the was way it not the a surprise because you read like TV Guide or were there like promos? Uh, actually, I don't remember any promos. I'm sure that there were, um, because it was just like on on the CW's like four kids at the time. Okay. So I'm sure they were, but I don't remember any of them. Gotcha. But I, but yeah, I obsessively read all the TV guides, like cover to cover. Yeah. So that's probably how I knew. Nothing was a spoiler for me at the time. <laughs> but the way that the black suit is handled and integrated into the story was a huge surprise mm, for sure. So good. All right. Yeah. Well, this episode opens outside of Ravencroft Institute, where Dr. Kafka, huh, praises <laughs> Electro for making tremendous progress. And then lets him go. (laughs) She says that he needs to continue therapy, but believes that he will do great out there. Good job, Electro. (laughs) Good job. She's going to, like, lose her license after this, I feel like. (laughs) Oh, wow. Right? (laughs) It's wild, too, because you learn really quickly that Electro is at Ravencroft Institute, but everybody else is in prison. Mm -hmm. So I guess the reason that he's even able to be released is because he's not technically imprisoned. He's just being cared for. 
but oh my goodness <laughs> like wow yeah. what a what a choice Ooh, dr kafka yeah. what a choice <laughs> yeah Ooh, okay so electro immediately goes to make a phone call to one otto octavius who's hanging out in the prison yard and electro is basically saying like I'm so excited that I'm out because we get the chance to work together. We can double team you know who. (laughs) Also, the line delivery on that should have been done by Black Cat because he was very, very suggestive when he said it. (laughs) 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 But anyway, Otto responds, double team? Oh, surely we could do better than that. And that's when I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. Is it going to happen? Is this what they're doing? (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. I do think this episode telegraphs a lot of what's about to happen. But in this case specifically, every time I felt like they were telegraphing something to me, I just got more excited. So it worked really well. Yeah, because it's stuff that you want to see. Yes. You want to see the Sinister Six duke it out. You want to see the the symbiote like laying on Mm -hmm. stuff. like. Yeah, yeah, it it works in this case. Yeah, this isn't like necessarily a terribly surprising episode in the way that all of it's. There's a couple things, but for the most part, it's not. It's not like the, there's tons of plot twists or anything, really. No, but no, I I almost timed it, but um, but I didn't because I'm lazy. A lot of this episode <laughs> is just just fighting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's good oh, fighting. Really, really good. But they they do hook you very very quickly with that you know auto line of. Oh, surely we can do better than double team. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So excited. <laughs> uh, well, after those opening credits, Otto then makes his way around to y- around the yard to uh, speak with some familiar faces. The enforcers who have like a uh, fresh new look is what you wrote. Uh, did, did they look okay. differently designed? Because I didn't know. I have that. a question for you. Uh-huh. Ox. Uh-huh. Skin color has changed. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, but I wasn't really paying attention because he was definitely a white guy in the early in in like his in the first episode. Was he not a white guy this time? I mean, he could be. Maybe he spends a lot of time in the yard. Interesting. Um, but he is at least in this scene specifically. He is much darker skinned than he was in the original episode, and also I feel like Fancy Dan is a different person. I don't know why I didn't pick up on any of these things. Well, I I think Fancy Dan was supposed to be an Asian character when we first met him, right? Wasn't Uh, he like an Asian martial artist? He was a martial artist. I thought he was a... I thought he was a black guy, but I might just oh, be okay. thinking because I might just be thinking because Phil Lamar had voiced him because I don't really remember. <sighs> I mean, he didn't make much of an impression. So. Okay, well, I don't remember that much about Fancy Dan, but I so maybe maybe Fancy Dan is exactly the same because in this one he I'm pretty sure he's a black guy in this episode, mm-hmm. but Ox looks different. I mean, yeah. his design isn't different, but his coloring is different. That's interesting. I don't know if he's just like. You know, got a maybe he's maybe he's you know he's got Mediterranean blood in him, so the sun does wonders <laughs> for his complexion. It's possible, um, but he is much darker than he was before. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, nope, did not pick up on that at all. Mm-hmm. Not that they really do much of anything in this episode. No, it's very much which just is a setup probably why that's even able to be ha- like even capable of happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like yeah. I don't know. Just color him in, whatever. <laughs> 
Well, either way, um, the, the the enforcers are there, and a very broody Adrian Toomes is also there in the yard. Um, and then later that day, um, we see Adrian delivering meals to both Alex O'Hearn, um, who's in like a, a special cell uh, that like that I guess he shouldn't be able to break out of or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also Flint Marco. They're and they're both they're in a solitary confinement units essentially. That I guess Oscorp you see Oscorp logos on everything. Um, so I guess they kind of built something specifically to like repel them or, or keep them. Yeah, remember Osborne got that contract. Yeah, that's true, and he knows how they were built, so he can very easily make uh, make cells that yes. will stop them. Yes, I think. Um... I don't know that they really explain Marco's cell at all, but mm-hmm. um, O'Hearn's cell has a voice. Well, they both have a voice, but I believe O'Hearn's cell must have some sort of, um, like, if you touch the walls or get too close to the walls, they sedate or knock him out in some way. That's right. That's right. Which which makes sense because, spoiler alert, eventually the cell's power goes out and he's able to just easily <laughs> smash through the cell. So it has, has right. less to do with the cell being, like, reinforced and more to do with he can't really move from the spot that he is sitting in. Which yeah, would suck. Oh, God. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, neither one of them can can move. Like, they just, they basically are just sitting there. They're not restrained. They just yeah. can't move too far from their seat. It's <laughs> kind of evil. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, solitary confinement in general is evil. Uh, but... is evil. Yep, yep, I agree with that. <laughs> There's my stance, everybody. <laughs> yep. No, I'm, I'm on board. I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, they're in special cells. One interesting thing. So, like, it's established that Sandman can't eat food anymore apparently like the, he's given a sandwich uh-huh. um and then he even like comments on it where he's like um he's like a sandwich like uh oh, what a joke which i was just like oh yeah they just like he's making fun of it yeah. but then he's like i can only eat raw silicates which is i mean i know that he's made out of like silicone yeah granules or whatever but it's still interesting that he can only eat raw silicates good thing he's made of it because holy shit that would be awful for you yeah i mean inhaling silica can cause um pneumono ultra microscopic silico volcanochiosis so right which would be bad like everybody's aware of right right so god gross yeah yeah so not only is he in solitary confinement which is terrible he's also has to like eat bad stuff for him basically like i get it's just like metal sand kind i don't even really fully understand what silicone or silica silica whatever even is I don't either. I don't get any of it. It's a cool. It's a cool little bit of like world building for oh, yeah, it to for just sure. be like he can't. He's made of sand, so you know he can't eat or whatever. Yeah. Also, that sandwich, gross. The sandwich <laughs> was disgusting because as as Adrian's like walking through the hall to deliver this food, he like spreads some goop on the wall, which will make sense in a moment, but. He gives a sandwich, this sandwich to Marco, and Marco throws it at the wall, which is made of glass. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess there was a bunch of goop on the sandwich. I, I guess so. Gross. Gross. Yeah, I guess gross. so. I don't even know. I guess the goop is, yeah, it's like some explosive goop or something. Whatever it is, it doesn't, it's, yeah, it's gone gross. It's it's glow goop. <laughs> glow goop. No, it, it is. It is glow goop. Like, Wait, oh. that's what happens in the show. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Oh, uh, whatever. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> so so later that evening, Electro arrives outside the prison because, again, he's he's out before everybody else. And his mission is basically to overload and shut down the power of the prison, 
which, like we said, allows Rhino to actually crash through his cell because the safety mechanism has been disabled. And then he's able to smash through um, Sandman's mm-hmm. cell and free Sandman as well. The two of them mm-hmm. high five because they're bros mm-hmm. and then proceed to follow glowing goop arrows <laughs> oh God. to How the cells of the that? enforcers, Otto Octavius and Adrian Toomes. So that's what the goop is for. I just don't know why it was on a sandwich. <laughs> huh. Was I? I must have just been asleep during this whole sequence. Well, I don't know they don't so. explain it, and I didn't get it at first. I just was like, "We've got this goop," and then later they're following these like green arrows, and it wasn't until the second time that I was like, "Oh, the goop is the arrows." <laughs> so it's not like anybody explains it. <laughs> yeah, what an interesting like prison break scheme. Like we're gonna yeah. smear a bunch of glow in the dark goop on the walls, mm-hmm. and that's gonna tell you where to go. Yeah, I mean it's it is. It's smart. I mean, those two are in solitary, so they have no idea what the rest of the prison is like. Mm -hmm. I wonder how Toombs managed to get the, uh, this is all just sort of like uh, speculation and maybe, maybe fanfic later, but I wonder how he managed to like get the, the job of delivering food to all the people in solitary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's probably, he's very rich probably. Mm. So he probably like bought his way there you <laughs> into go. into like better circumstances. <laughs> that works. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not unlike real life. Anyway, yep. <laughs> outside the prison walls, they meet up with Electro, who charges Otto's harness. So above, then we have a helicopter which has Hammerhead. He comes down and delivers like all of their equipment and super suits and everything to all of them. So everyone's suiting up, becoming their supervillain selves again. The only thing is that he does instruct Ox and Fancy Dan to come with him, but he does Santa tell uh, Montana to stay with them as Shocker. So, you know, then they can actually be a Sinister Six. So. Right. That, that would be too many people. <laughs> be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like, you two are just, like, dudes. You don't have any crazy costumes. You're going to come with me. You're too boring for this group. I will be very curious to see if they show up later because what this means is that those two are free. Like, those two, Fancy Dan uh-huh. and Ox are free. <laughs> yeah yeah we don't see them again in this episode so we have no reason to understand that they were ever apprehended <laughs> i don't expect to see them because who really cares about like ox and fancy dan but i will be curious to find out <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so yeah the next morning peter wakes up after sleeping in very late it's like afternoon or something like that and his new black suit now with some prominent white embellishments a yes. second black suit, perhaps? Yes, that's what I meant. I thought yes. so. <laughs> um, quickly adheres itself to him. And when Peter reaches for his web shooters under the bed, the suit actually reveals that it is now making its own webs. Peter declares, how did I ever live without you? <laughs> and then casts his web shooters off. Uh-huh. He literally just kicks them under the bed. Yeah. Like, come on, Forget dude. you. Some respect. <laughs> We made you, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird because I'm pretty sure his webs in the last episode were also, like, black most of the time. Yeah. No, you're definitely so, right. Impl- so it's weird that he only just now realized that his suit was making the webs, but oh, Peter's oblivious. Interesting question that I didn't think to find an answer for. In the first of these two episodes, I guess it's it's just coding his web that he's already using or something. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But does does the place that his web comes from change in the second episode? Does oh, it move oh. to the top of his hand like it did in the 90s? 
I don't think so, okay. if I remember correctly. I, at least I didn't notice it. If the, if it does, then it's very subtle. But I think it's always coming out of his the same place on okay. the wrists. Which I'm, yeah. a, I'm a fan of, by the way. <laughs> You're a fan of it not coming out of the top of his hand? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of it just coming from the same place. Sure. Not that it matters. So, like, I don't know why it's even worth mentioning, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel ya. But, uh, but yeah, so after that, Peter goes downstairs. He finds a still very tired Aunt May, who's folding laundry and watching the news. The last news report is, is, um, is, uh, is saying that, like, and this is making this the third time the singer's baby was shown driving her car. Which, I'm very offended, because this was 2008, and that is definitely a direct (gasps) Britney Britney Spears Spears reference. How dare you? (laughs) Yep, look, culture hadn't, culture wasn't really sure what to do with her at that point. I feel like people have, like, softened and figured out, like, that they were in the wrong at this point. But yeah, we all turned on her at that point, unfortunately. (laughs) Wasn't a good look for America right then. No, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Either way, um, she she mutes the news like literally right before the news report that would be talking about the Sinister Six being out. Mm-hmm. So Peter doesn't notice that, but he does um, ask Aunt May if she like shouldn't you be getting ready to go out to the theater with Anna Watson? You know, he encourages her to have some fun, even though she says she's feeling a bit peaked. Um, mm. She does. Peter. Uh-oh. Peter. I know. Peter. <laughs> I know. Um, but he does actually convince her to go out. And of course, as soon as he leaves, she unmutes the television to the news report of the prison break. Yep. Yep. Just the first of at least a couple instances of, of the news not being noted. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. The second of which happens right now. So Peter arrives at Empire State where he runs into still quite ragey Eddie. <laughs> Probably more uh-huh. so ragey than the last episode. Uh-huh. And I think... I think from the beginning of this episode, Eddie is wearing his motorcycle outfit, right? Yup. So Eddie in this episode is wearing a black leather, I'm assuming it's leather, um, like a black leather jacket for riding a motorcycle that has um, basically like white racing stripes on it that basically, they they kind of create like a double chevron on his chest, Mm -hmm. sort of in the place that you might put a spider emblem if you were mm-hmm. a Spider-inspired villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very cool outfit. Yeah, it is a really cool outfit. Yeah. It's, like it's, an, it's an interesting design choice. Well, and then later he puts on a helmet that is, yeah. I'm guessing, is just the actual shape of Venom's mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's like, it's like kind of weirdly heavy-handed in a way that the show isn't. But I don't hate it because we all kind of know yeah. like where it's probably going. So it's just sort of like yeah. a neat little signal that like, yeah, you're... Uh, Eddie's Eddie's kind of embracing his own personal black suit in the same way that that Spider-Man is embracing his. Yeah. So let's yeah, let's dive into this because um, (laughs) heavy handed, I think, is probably an apt description for what what happens with Eddie uh, in this episode. So he runs into Eddie, I think quite literally, I think they they bump into each other and Eddie rejects Peter's attempts at any sort of friendly conversation. This totally catches Peter off guard. Mostly because Peter's oblivious, but also because they were making headway in their relationship. And he asks Eddie, what's up? Um, Eddie tells him to stow the bros, um, saying that while he might have gotten over the whole lizard thing, he can't forgive Peter for taking pictures of the alien life form and not calling the cops. He then gets really, really kind of dark. <laughs> He he tells Peter that he's a user, like that Peter is a user, that he uses people to get himself ahead, even if it hurts his friends. 
Um, and then he says, what you need is a taste of your own medicine. Have something you care taken away. Trouble is, I'm not sure you care about anything. Damn, son. Damn. Yeah. Okay. First off, whiplash AF. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious about your thoughts on this. Yeah. Because I know what I was watching originally at the time. I was like, that seems like a real hard turn for him. I think that there's a little bit like deeper that we can like look into. Um, that's not really as like prevalent on the surface, but I'm curious, like what, yeah. like when this happened, like were what were your feelings on this? So I no, I, I think that, I think that where he is, is fine, but I would have liked one more episode or instance of them clashing to really yes. bridge where he was and where he is. Yes, 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 yes. Especially <laughs> because we got a teeny tiny taste of background information in the last episode that they really could have capitalized on as far as bonding those two in a way that most people never are faced with having to bond over, which would sort of enhance the betrayals. You know what I mean? He talks yeah. about it later in this episode, but it's already after he's gone full rage mode. Yes. So... For me, when it was happening, I was like, okay, like, we're here. And that was really sudden, but I'm just going to, I guess, roll with it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because I can connect the dots. I just think maybe there should have been a few more dots. Here's my problem with it, I think. And it's what I really want to like about the way that they construct Eddie's arc in theory is that the stuff that's a betrayal that Peter does isn't directly to him. It's always on behalf of other people, which I think is a really cool take on it. Mm -hmm. That it's like someone who clearly deeply cares about a lot of other people. Like all of the slights that he's mad at Peter out are towards the Connors and towards Gwen. And that makes a lot of sense. And so he's someone who maybe is a little bit like, I can see the idea. Like he's maybe is a little bit too self-righteous and like too, too like invested in other people's happiness that when they're wronged, like the opposite direction of that is that when they're wronged, he gets really, like, really dark on their behalf. But the, the problem is that it still feels too connected, too disconnected for what's very clearly a personal, but betra- presented as a very personal betrayal for him. Like, yeah, there, there doesn't, they, they don't give us a specific breaking point, but he is clearly post breaking point in this right. episode. The, the the defense that I can say of it, and it plays a little bit more into the next scene that we see him in, so maybe I should hold off until we get to that, but it's really that I think, like, there is something interesting about the psychology of, like, of, of Eddie and how he works, where I can sort of see the breaking point not necessarily being, like, what would be otherwise a pretty normal breaking point, but even still, it just really does feel like there's just a missing piece somewhere where there needed to be one more event, something that did hit him a lot harder than these other things had that led him to that breaking point, rather than the breaking point just being, like, a repeat of the the first thing yeah, he was mad about, yeah. you know? I, so I know we normally go specifically in order of the scenes, but the, the scene you're referencing doesn't directly influence other stuff in the episode, so we could dive True. into it if you want to. Yeah, that might be good because my thing is like what what so he he goes on a date with Mary Jane later on in the episode and through the whole sequence he, he is driving very fast and like kind of seems to be almost getting them killed. 
the the idea I think they were supposed to glean from it is that Mary Jane is the is the thing that he recognizes that Peter likes or cares about and wants to take her away by like taking her on a date and then but then he ends up like letting his rage get the best of him and get the best of him and he freaks her out right yeah I I like that in theory but it it goes very quickly off the rails into a place where I'm like you're still just Eddie like you're like yeah. nothing nothing has has happened yeah. to you yet. Here's 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 a couple of things that that I think make sense about it cool. that that I've thought about a lot is that when we were talking about him early on in the lizard episodes we we're just like oh he's a precious free of light but there's also kind of this weird suspicion that it's just like but something's kind of up with you like you're very quick to just like jump into danger and almost get yourself killed yeah. with like no caring for yourself and I think it it came up from one of us or both of us that it's like kind of seems like you have like a weird like kind of complex or like a death wish happening. Yep. And I feel like that's very clear in the scene with Mary Jane where I think the the the, the problem is that he get he's getting so focused and honed in on his issue with Peter and letting it get to him so much that like the the kind of selfless part of caring for other people is sort of stripped away a little bit and then what's left is just a dude who's really angry with a death wish and he probably had a lot of this resentment already and so that makes him be very reckless like i don't think that he was purposely trying to like fuck with mary jane in that scene i think mm-hmm. he literally legitimately was trying to go on a date with her just to hurt peter by going on a date with her yeah but by letting his resentment and like the sort of like death wish complex where he probably he probably kind of hates himself or maybe even like blames himself for his parents' death in some way or something like that. Like some kind of like complex like resentment that's built up manifests itself in him just being an extremely reckless person and not really caring about his own health yeah. in a way that in, but just unlike every other situation he'd been, been in up to this point, he's so consumed by his own anger that he actually does put someone else in harm's way when he'd never done that previously. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I buy all of that because I think that if Eddie is a person who lost both of his parents at the same time, very young, it is totally reasonable that a reaction to that would just be just like sort of flat out anger and not necessarily even knowing what to do with it when you're young. So it's possible that he is the type of character who sort of had to work through that type of anger and is sort of actively in the mode of coping with anger management all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. almost like a, a less extreme version of like a Bruce Banner situation where it's like, I'm always angry and I just need to figure out the ways to cope to quell that. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you put that sort of into Eddie's characterization early on, it actually, I think, could explain his constant sort of ray of sunshine almost too good to be true type of personality like like the people who are so happy that you're almost like are you happy like (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) like or or like are you actively trying to be happy or is this coming naturally to you either way if you're happy it's cool but if you were somebody in eddie's situation you might have to actively be doing that so Mm -hmm. the more that gets piled on yeah the more the more he gets distracted by the things that are piling on, the less he's coping, the more easily he breaks down or falls into um, these sort of fits of anger that maybe used to be more prevalent mm-hmm. and have built up over time. So yeah. I, I think it, I do think it all makes sense as a character. There's just like a little bit of storytelling whiplash um, yes. that I can, you know, I can, I can, I can get over pretty quickly. It, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not super egregious. It just catches, just catches you off guard a little bit. 
I think it's all because of there's there's that one missing piece where it's just sort of like this all makes sense, but there need to be one extra like event to lead yeah. up to this point. I can buy all of this, but you have to buy into him having been at his breaking point, and you don't really buy into him at his breaking yeah. point to to get to this point. Right. Yeah. You you almost need that moment of like seeing them snap, mm-hmm. which sounds mm-hmm. weird in entertainment, but like that's exactly what we're talking about is the transformation from somebody who's who's kind of calm and cool and collected into somebody who's reckless yes. we've got the background for it but like what was the inciting incident right exactly now the other thing that i think was really is really interesting though that what i was bringing up in the last episode that just like hit me then mm-hmm. so when peter has this weird little like internal monologue exposition about his parents and eddie's parents dying in the plane crash oh yeah that is then again brought up during eddie's eddie talking to mary jane and he also reiterates that exact same thing that his parents died in a plane crash with Peter's parents. What's I think really interesting is I think that pretty clearly presents him as a foil to Peter because the way that we see Peter um, relay that information is that he's thinking about it and then using that to kind of um, to uh, uh, inspire his own self to do good, to be like, I'm going to save this person from having, from having the same bad thing happen to them as happened to my parents. Eddie, on the other hand, uses that to fuel like he first of all it doesn't seem like he's really ever dealt with it like he seems to still like not have processed it so he's just carrying resentment about it instead of using that to like propel him to 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 do good well he's funneled it into protecting peter so not only does he like he talks about having protected peter from bullies and stuff like that if they were bonded by this experience and his coping mechanism was to protect peter the person that he's been bonded to as a result of this trauma one peter no longer needs his protection and two peter the one that he's protected has betrayed him so like Mm -hmm. you could have built the snap very easily from that and I, i guess they kind of did in a subtle way Mm-hmm. But I, I could see that being sort of the reason he's never fully coped internally is because he was almost funneling his coping through another person. Yeah. And then once he lost, first of all, the ability to to like funnel that into protecting Peter, but then Peter himself, like in spite of everything that he did protect him, essentially like turned his back on Eddie and, and, and only like did stuff to to kind of not hurt Eddie directly but like kind of uh well, he betrays, from his perspective hurt him. Like if they're if they're bros, right? Like they call each other bro all the time and if Eddie has this protective attitude towards Peter, he probably sees himself at least in some way sort of like a mentor, sort of he's built Peter up. There's probably a sort of parental element there where like I'm raising you and like my values are your values and Peter might not be doing things that directly damage Eddie. But he's doing things that Eddie would have never taught him or defended or, you know, he Eddie can't see where this type of behavior would have come from if Eddie sees himself as one of Peter's primary protectors or male role models. That's interesting because he and he would almost feel a little bit responsible in a very unhealthy way for for what Peter's done too. like it's just going to be like you're making me look bad essentially you're making me me feel like I did something wrong by by like having this person that having you that I taught make these mistakes that I would never make. But clearly I did something wrong. So clearly there's something wrong with me. Ergo, I'm just angry about everything. Yeah. Like don't care about anything anymore, Um, especially for someone who already has kind of a, a pretty clear like complex about himself mm-hmm. so it's it, and it's interesting because and i think the, the reiterating the plane crash like monologue 
really makes that very clear of like how similar but different he and Peter are. Like he's almost kind of the reverse of Peter in a lot of ways. Like Peter went from being a nerd who sort of became more more confident and got a lot of like physical abilities whereas Eddie started off as like a football player who then ended up being like a full-on nerd like he went in the reverse journey that Peter went mm-hmm. he's kind of has an obsessive personality in the same way that Peter does yeah like we see that Peter gets really honed in on stuff and, and doesn't see anything around him when he's honed in on his goals and that's pretty much what happens with Eddie and MJ in his scene where he's just honed in on his own anger and wanting to get back at Peter well that's to the how point that Eddie he is about his see. morals Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. He's, like, very self-righteous, very black and white about it, and very, like, very focused on it, like, doesn't even want to consider, like, the, uh, anything outside of it. Like, that's why, probably why it made him so angry when he felt like Peter betrayed him, even though it wasn't directly to him and was kind of on behalf of other people, he's still seeing, like, this righteous moral injustice. yeah coming from the perspective of someone who sees things pretty black and white. Yeah, no, I I think that, that Eddie's characterization makes lots and lots of sense. Um, but, you know, like like it sounds like both of us think, there's just a missing chapter somewhere. Yes. But uh, but everything else in the book that we got to see is, is beautiful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just want that missing chapter, please. <laughs> yes, right. Where's the, uh, where's the, like, Eddie interim comic yeah. that, that exists between episodes? <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly pay for that in the year 2019 if someone wants to uh, make that. I will gladly pay for any more episodes of Spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man in the year 2019. Yep, exactly, yes. <laughs> Many amounts of money yes. I would be willing to pay. <laughs> oh, so much money. <laughs> <laughs> well, diving back to the interaction at Empire State between Peter and Eddie, there's not much more to say about that other than <laughs> we see a newspaper that that has pictures of the escaped villains um, and a headline about it. But because they're in an argument, Peter doesn't notice then either. It's just sort of a mm-hmm. fun little background detail. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> He'll figure it out eventually. Oh, boy, will he. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, later on, Peter suited up and hanging on top of a building, laments about losing his oldest friend, but it doesn't take him long before um, his internal monologue slash the suit says, uh, who needs him? I've got the cool new suit. And so suddenly his problems are gone. He's got what he wants and he thwips off to distract himself with a potential crime in progress. I actually think that line supports the idea that the suit is already influencing his thoughts because yeah. it's such a it's it's an absolutely bonkers comparison. Losing your, your your, your <laughs> oldest friend and getting a cool new suit. Oh, yeah. What would the suit think is cooler than itself? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. So I think that's actually an argument in that direction. Yep. Yep. The crime that he actually sees about to happen is uh, going to be the thing that connects everything <laughs> because the crime <laughs> in progress is a rhino attack at Times Square nearby to the theater where you guessed. Aunt May and Anna Watson are arriving to see the Merry Wives of Windsor. (laughs) (laughs) So he he makes his way over there, and now you've got uh, an angry rhino, Aunt May and Anna Watson, and Spider-Man all in the same arena. Nothing could go wrong. Nothing at all. They're just going to have a tea. T- they're all going to see the play together. Yeah. They're all Rhino. Rhino's a Shakespeare fan. He thinks the, <laughs> their lines, he thinks the words are very pretty. Yes, and indeed. 
Yeah, they're going to have a good time. <laughs> Instead, he crashes through an entire police and SWAT blockade. As one does. <laughs> Spider-Man arrives to confront Rhino, but as they exchange quips, his spider sense goes off and he's like, ah, that doesn't really happen when I can when the villain is in plain sight because that's not what his spider sense is warning him of. Ooh, this is <laughs> where it starts to happen. This is yep. where, like, all of my excited juices really start going off. <laughs> uh, because you know, you know how well <sighs> this show constructs action scenes anyway, and how well animated these characters were individually. Uh, and now you can see them all do stuff together. Yes, <laughs> yes. So his spider sense goes off, and Sandman walks up. Sandman reveals himself by punching Spider-Man in the face, of course, sending uh, sending Spider-Man crashing into the theater nearby to uh, Aunt May and Anna Watson. And uh, Spider-Man's sort of like, wait a second, like, how did you two get back together? But before he can finish that thought, we get Shocker walking around the SWAT van. And then we look up and Vulture is like flying overhead. And then Electro, like, electricity surfs along, like, the marquees. And then, (laughs) ah, and then... (laughs) Doc Ock uh, makes his way out from behind a skyscraper, of course. Um, on his super freaking long tentacles, and there they are, <laughs> six of them, suited up, super villainy, ready to go. <laughs> ah! And all my happy chemicals were firing all at once. I got the vapors. <laughs> ah, for real. Oh, it was so cool just having them all basically like quote walk onto like onto the stage, except in their own specific ways. It's so well done. Yes, it's so well done. Ugh. I also love that Shocker, because he's Montana, you know what I mean? They've basically given him a unique personality. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Montana's way of arriving is literally just to sort of like mosey around a van and lean on it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's so good. It's so perfect. Yeah. Oh, I've actually like kind of grown to like Montana through the way that they have chosen to um, fuse him with Shocker. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's such a unique like flair, especially on this show. Like there's yeah. nobody else really like him, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Especially in this group of six, which we'll, we'll get to uh, a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So before the sixsome can close in and attack Spidey, Doc Ock, ever the gentleman, he warns Aunt May and Anna to step aside. And May, who's fucking awesome, <laughs> she refuses. She's, yeah. She wants to attack. She wants to protect Spider-Man, that young man, she calls him. Yeah, who she doesn't even like that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, she's cool. So two things that are fucking great in this. Doc Ock respects women, first of all. Yeah, he does. And- <laughs> And and Aunt May is is like she's gonna stand up for. She clearly recognizes recognizes that Spider Man is like a young person. She has a maternal instinct, and she's she's going for it. Yeah, it's so great. Oh God, I love these people so much. Now all she has to do is hit him with her handbag. <laughs> oh God, yes, <laughs> uh, yes, my queen. Uh, yeah, no, I loved that. That was really really great. Um, yeah. Of course, you know that's 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 not gonna work. Aunt May, yeah. that's not going to work at all. Um, so Spider-Man manages to get uh, May and, and Anna into the theater away from um, from the main action outside in Times Square. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, even then, he still like tell like he still uh, he still tells them like, oh, yeah, step aside, ladies. Like after that, like he still he still gets them to be like us run along like he has no intention ever of going after them. And I think he even stops Rhino from plowing through them like. I think he's being fully authentic that he's like, I have no interest. I'm not going to hurt them. They're just nice little old ladies. Why would I do that? You know what? He's, he's learned 
from his first um, battle with Spider-Man that disrespecting women puts you in jail and you're a jerk if you do it. So stop (laughs) stealing all the women and being Mm -hmm. jerks to them. Mm -hmm. That's what Doc Ock learned. Uh huh. You know what it's just just remind me of too. Earlier in the episode, when Ele- when he's calling Electro Maxwell, and Electro is like, actually, I prefer to be called Electro. Oh. And he's just like, oh, I completely understand. That's fine. Woke. You want to be called a different name? He's fucking fine with it. It doesn't matter. Ugh. Otto is the greatest character in the show. It is about him. <laughs> he would use whatever pronouns that you want. Uh-huh. He gets it. He's like, yeah, you do you. I do me. I know yeah. how he knows how it is to have to repress yourself. Uh-huh. And and he knows the, the great feeling of coming out of your closet and becoming like your best self. Yeah. His his best self happens to be like a mad scientist supervillain. He That's totally not great, respects but... Alex and, you know, Flint's relationship. Yeah. He says, yeah. Absolutely, I'll be one of your your groomsmen when you get married to (laughs) each other. Yeah. (laughs) Doc Ock is just like the pinnacle of human tolerance. Yeah, be like Doc Ock. That's the moral (laughs) of the show, or the the lesson of the show, I think. Hashtag be like Doc Ock. Be like Doc Ock. Be like Otto, we should say. (laughs) Yes. Well, I don't know. <laughs> no, I like I like Doc Ock better because yeah. Otto wasn't really worth. Yeah, Otto wouldn't Otto have stood up for much of anything. <laughs> He's just cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, imagine my um, absolute giddiness when Doc Ock shows up in this episode, but being in prison has to present as Otto. <laughs> I was like, "Yay, Otto's not gone." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh boy. Oh, I'm very hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Same dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Doc Ock grab, grabs Spider-Man and tosses him into shocker. By the goes, head, by the way. He grabs yeah. him by the head. Yeah, and that's not not the first time in this episode that he does no. that either. <laughs> no. Uh, tosses him into shocker who blasts him into one of the uh, electronic billboard screens. Um, and then Electro blows up a car, causing an explosion just outside of a theater. <laughs> and then we get a, a funny little scene. Um, God, I forget the character's name. It's like, I think it's like John St. Devereaux, I think is what his name is. <laughs> He's a character in the comics, too. I think he like... Oh, uh, I was wondering. He was, he's not like a, he's not like a, 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 like a, like a superhero or anything. He like, I think he was like the director or producer or something of, of like a Mary Jane soap opera at one point. Is that who Anna names when she says, I hear he's yes. just amazing as Falstaff? Yes, that's okay. him. That is him. Um, Yeah. Gotcha. And I love him. And he's so fun. <laughs> Um, he's got like this great, just like overly theatrical, pretentious accent. Yes. Um, he's like, Sydney, I think they're canceling tonight's show. (laughs) (laughs) You think? (laughs) It is funny though, because like he doesn't know what's going on. He just sees everybody running out of the theater. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, right after he makes that phone call. Yeah. May experiences arm pain and collapses. Good thing uh, Mr. Devereaux is Devereaux is nearby because uh, Anna says, call an ambulance. <laughs> this uh, is bad. Huh? Well, <laughs> that's going on um, outside. Spider-Man avo- avoids a rhino charge and electro blast only to be sliced by Vulture's wings. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. And uh, when he attempts to punch off Vulture's hover pack, just like he did in the first episode, he learns that it has been reinforced. Um, and actually, like, 
it, it seems really painful. He, like, yep. punches it really hard. He clearly hurts his hand. Doc Ock pulls him off Vulture and explains that none of Spidey's former solutions will work. Uh, right before tossing him to Sandman, who then, like, turns turns his arms into a bat and, like, home run bats him into another nearby billboard. Yes. Lots of billboards. <laughs> Ooh, he's taking a real beating. Uh-huh. And these are all the ones that are, like, light up in Times Square. So, ouch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bad. Um, I want to believe that without the symbiote, like, Spidey would have died from these injuries. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, there's uh, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> because in this in this scene, and then we'll see in another scene, the six of them literally just toss him around. Like, yeah. they are just punching him into the next um, attack. It is, mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it's real rough. It really is. And animated beautifully. <laughs> yes, it is. So... Realizing he can't take on all six villains at once, Spider-Man decides that the right move is actually to run, and he jumps into a nearby sewer, just barely avoiding another bolt from Electro. Doc Ock, Sandman, Shocker, and Electro all follow him into the sewer. Rhino does not. (laughs) A little bit of post-trauma going on there. (laughs) I love it. It's so cute. Mm -hmm. And Vulture thrives in the air, so he also does not follow into the sewer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love this that they, I, I like that they're kind of exploring the realities of like these very different uh, types of villains, like how how they would actually not just interact with each other, but like the things that they could and couldn't do. Like, yeah, it's 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 pretty clever. Well, it's the way that you would write a superhero team. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you you have to consider each character's strengths and weaknesses so that you can write stories with them. And I feel very confident that this group of six, you could write many stories about because we'll see that they actually establish motivation for every single one of them, something that they didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have just said, like, eh, they're super villains. Yeah, yeah, of course they're going to team up. But no, they're all doing these things for very specific reasons. Right, right. So... Before they get very far into the sewer, um, they realize that even the four that went down there probably aren't the greatest team to follow Spidey. So Dr. Octopus instructs Electro to sit out um, due to the prevalence of water. Says he's he could be a danger to the team, which Electro, of course, is hurt by, but um, seems to have like quite the reverence for Doc Ock because Doc Ock, I guess, wrote him at Ravencroft would like yeah. send him letters so he he sort of has this um admiration for for doc ock a little bit of a villain crush one might say <laughs> yeah and then, i don't blame him yeah <laughs> i know right same <laughs> same, <TBH>. same dude <laughs> <laughs> and uh sandman decides to basically bench himself um to avoid turning into what he calls Mudman. Like, I'm turning into Mudman over here. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Now, uh, as Shocker and Sandman begin to to clash because they're uh, they're getting really annoyed at each other, we're starting to starting to see the uh, the, the the seams uh, start to come apart here in their group. Um, God, this this is so fucked up. Spider Man yeah. is revealed to have been hiding just nearby, and he's like completely still. And a roach crawls across his face over his eyes. Gross. What? Gross. What? So gross. What? <laughs> so gross. But it really, I mean, it really illustrates the severity of the situation and just how scared Peter Parker uh, is of the situation. Yep. Yep. Ugh. Yep. Ugh. I also really like. Um, I know that the, like digging into this buries the lead and the point of that whole that whole moment. 
Um, but we'll see that the the clash between Shocker and Sandman is completely in line with the motivation that they write for them later. So remember that it's Shocker and Sandman that get into an argument right after Sandman excuses himself from the sewer. That's a good point. I mean, it's yeah, not like, it's not really like hugely important to the story. It's just, I really can't stress enough how good they are at paying attention to the details mm-hmm. in this series. It's mm-hmm. incredible, especially in this episode. Uh-huh. Yeah, so true. Um, now, elsewhere, we talked about this a little bit, but we sort of see the setup for Mary Jane uh, going on the date uh, with Eddie. But I do appreciate that, like she she has like she has like struck up a legit friendship with Glory. Yeah, she's talking to Glory on the phone about who she's going on a date with. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, she she uh, she says it's not Pete and it's not Flash, and then she laughs at the suggestion of it being Kenny. I do take issue with her rationale being. I'd never do that to you, Glory, which I guess is what you have to say to your friend's face. Yeah, but, but the that's fact that the she... reason, Mary Jane, that's the reason you're not going on a date with Kenny, the shittiest person in school. But you know, you know what? She could also recognize that it's like, if Glory is into this guy, there's got to be something about him. He's probably a good lay. And I'm sure that piques her interest a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and she seems pretty open to anything. True. So she's I can sort of see that. <laughs> not one to, uh, to interpret affection as a long-term relationship immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever it is that Kenny does, I guess she would be willing to try. <laughs> I want to know what glory sees in you. So do it to me Uh, and then we'll go from there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't even say it. Well, I'll have to, well, I'll have to tell you what my theory is off the air because even that would be too much for, for our podcast. Okay. I don't, we're, 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 we're not necessarily super wholesome, but uh... (laughs) I can probably guess, but yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you know, then, (laughs) um that's my theory everybody (laughs) if you're old enough you get it (laughs) all right so um yeah so she doesn't she doesn't specifically say who it is um to glory but she says that uh she gets that glory gets one hint and that it is a guy that she did meet at the formal and that is when eddie arrives on his motorcycle dun 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 I don't know if we're necessarily going to talk about the motorcycle scene again when it arrives so i will note that when we were talking about the animation in the last episode, I mentioned that there were some general and specific um, anime references. Uh, Eddie's motorcycle is, and, and what he does with it and how he parks it specifically uh-huh. is a very direct Akira uh, reference and a very famous yes. shot in animation that is referenced probably at this point like hundreds upon hundreds of times in uh-huh. animated shows. Like that's how famous and iconic it is. They literally just did it in the Steven Universe movie. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. They're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's 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 a well animated sequence. I like the the way that they they uh, animate the lights from mm-hmm. his um from his motorcycle as well, like kind of uh um trailing behind him too. Yeah. It's real cool. Sort of Tron like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's real neat. Yeah. So after we see that little scene where Mary Jane sets up the date that we've (laughs) already talked about, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we cut to the Daily Bugle. We kind of get some business out of the way, I guess. Jonah is yelling about Spider-Man causing the emergence of the superhero or supervillains. Basically, his rationale is there weren't supervillains until there was a superhero, which actually is something that Spider-Man's worried about based on his conversation with Tombstone. Um, mm-hmm. So Jonah's actually more accurate than he realizes, but uh, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and he shouts for for Peter. He basically says, where's Parker? 
Uh, Betty shrugs in response to that, and Robbie ends up walking into the room and says that he has updates about Times Square. Specifically, he says there was plenty of property damage, no serious injuries, but one elderly woman did have a heart attack. Jonah obviously demands names because he wants to make a story out of it. Shocker. And when (laughs) Robbie says it's Mae Parker, Betty sort of like gasps and is like, oh my gosh, that's Peter's aunt. Like, I've got to call him. And then in another moment of being a great boss, because Jonah yells a lot, but is actually a great boss, uh, Jonah volunteers actually to do that himself. He says, I should be the one to call Peter and let him know. I love it. I love I love when Jane Jonah Jameson cares about Peter Parker. It's yes, so nice. best it's Jonah. So nice. They can they can yell at each other and they can argue and they can like spar like the best of them, but he still cares and is protective of Peter Parker. Yes. I love that yes, so me much. Me too. Me too. He does call, but he calls like right as Peter arrives home and of course Peter's in his kind of like sullen mode. He didn't take any pictures. So he's figuring it's like a, a reprimand or or just some typical angry Jonah uh calling. So he opts not to answer it. And he sets an alarm to wake up at 9 p.m. cuz he figures, you know, he'll nap for an hour and then Aunt May will get home and then he'll be able to check on her and and, and it sucks that she doesn't have a cell phone, but <laughs> he's willing to do that. Yeah, what does he say? We really got to get that lady a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, which true. Very true. Um, <laughs> uh but that said, he he dozes off real quickly and of course as soon as he does he misses another valuable piece of information because his home phone rings and it's anna watson leaving a message pleading for her to give her a call so mm-hmm. many times in this episode of peter just barely missing yeah. really important information that he needed all for like pretty legitimate reasons in this case they do a good job of of making sure that when he's just missing things it's it's not like just because of his own oblivion even though he yeah. is oblivious frequently. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, back at Times Square, the police look on. I love <laughs> this. I love this so much. The police look on while the Sinister Six are having this, like, really adorable dinner. A family, a very, like, realistic, all too realistic mm-hmm. family dinner. <laughs> yeah. I love it because the police are, like, they're out there in Times Square and they're not taking action because there's six supervillains just like chilling and like mm-hmm. not causing any sort of ruckus in the moment. And one of the officers is like, what are they doing? And another one's like, <laughs> I think they're eating dinner. <laughs> it's so yeah, good. They basically are like parked in the remnants of a restaurant. <laughs> With one still- server. With one server and still having like a pretty fancy meal together around a round table. Yes. And just chatting it up. They're arguing a little bit, but you know, it makes sense. It's it's real it's real cute. It's so clever. Oh, I love it. This is this is the moment where I was referencing them giving everybody a clear motivation because the group yes. sort of struggles to get on the same page. Doc Ock is the only one eating. He's like eating throughout this whole whole scene, just like kind of quietly, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> And uh, and everybody, like I said, they they kind of explain their motivation in in a very conversational way. Again, another really well written scene. Basically, Shocker doesn't like to leave a job undone, and ultimately answers to Hammerhead. So he's there because it's a job that he's been assigned, um, and he has this sort of sense of duty about him. Mm-hmm. Which you know, when we realize Sandman is kind of the opposite, answers only to himself and really was only ever motivated by some kind of score um, that really illustrates why the two of them clashed earlier on, where Shocker's like, no, this is a job that we have to finish, and sees Sandman as kind of like a flake, and then Sandman (laughs) sort of sees Shocker as like, dude, chill, like, who cares about this stuff anyway? 
So I right. love that 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 argument happened even before we understood why those two wouldn't get along. Yeah, yeah, the, it definitely plays up like what uh, which characters would get along and which characters wouldn't. Yes. And yeah, like all of them have really a, a, like opposing um opposing motivations for it. Like you said, Shocker's and Sandman's motivation. Rhino just wants to get revenge, which makes sense. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Vulture Vulture is a little more complicated. He like he is still motivated by stopping Norman Osborn. Um he calls Spider-Man a distraction. And then Electro just wants to find a cure, but he's still loyal to Doc Ock mm-hmm. um, and has a big villain crush on him still. Yeah, basically he's <laughs> like, he's like, listen, I, I want a cure, but like the only way any of us are going to get anything that we want um, is by listening to Doc Ock. Very, very <laughs> intriguing choice to make Doc Ock sort of the godfather of this group mm-hmm. in that they all do sort of defer to him. Yeah, well, it's really reminiscent of the PS4 game. Ah, uh, yes. Um, which is funny because <laughs> in the PS4 game, Electro wanted to like to become a being of full energy, and then this one he wants to not be, be yeah. a being of full energy. So that's <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's really fascinating, and it's really it, it's it's so cool too because it's sort also a little bit of like a really um, subtle kind of like a, a character development for Doc Ock. Yeah, because this is now. I mean, obviously, like being a supervillain was kind of the polar opposite of like the meek individual he was before. Anyway, but now he's not only like taking charge of himself and doing what he wants. He's like become a really good leader, actually, and like yeah. a really good like mentor and parental figure to these. Like he is so fully 100% confident in himself and his goals and like his ability to like kind of control people to an extent yeah too. it's really yeah. it's really fascinating well his his pendulum swung to the other side entirely in his first episode and then he sort of kind of got centered while he was in prison and I guess what else do you do with a genius brain in prison other than plan you know right and I guess if you are the one that figured out how to get everybody out of there it, it makes sense that people at least look to you for suggestion or direction, even if they don't right. necessarily see you as their boss. Right, right. So Doc Ock is like having his his meal while his family around him argues and then is prompted to sort of like step in and, and calm everybody down as, you know, as a paternal figure might at the front of a of a table, <laughs> I guess. guess that's mm-hmm. what they were going for. And so he, he shares that if they create a situation where Spider-Man is able to save people, Spider-Man will arrive, which carries over from the lesson that Doc Ock learned fighting Spider-Man in Doc Ock's debut episode, where he basically says like, you can't help yourself. Like you've got to be the hero. <laughs> yeah, what so a nice bit of character development. Yeah. Like, uh, like like tracking that 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 uh like tracking all of that for him. Like all the lessons he learned. It's really smart. It's fantastic continuity. It really is. Yeah, this show's such a master at that man. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, th- these these people need to be teaching a class on on how to do continuity properly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, unless we never see Fancy Dan and Ox again. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's important. <laughs> exactly. Then I throw this whole series out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. I also like, they they still, they keep up with this, like, great, um, his great language that he uses. Like, I think he says, like, Spider-Man's ignominious defeat <laughs> or something like that. Like, yeah. it's just like, you're so theatrical, Doc. Oh, my so gosh. Much. Dramatic, Doc. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. Nope. So after that, oh, there's also a great joke of the uh, the check please joke. Yeah, <laughs> like check please, and the waiter's still there, and he's just like 
uh, it's on the house. <laughs> yep. I think Doc Ock even says like, how kind of you and wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something to it's that. So effect. Good. <laughs> it's so good. I think that's the exact line actually. It's so good. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, after that happens, uh, Peter's alarm does sound right at nine o'clock and um, his alarm is just the, the news. So it's a radio news story plays. It shares that the six are, have taken hostages at a bank near Central Park. Um, so the black suit just slips right onto Peter's hand and without a word or any hesitation, just with like a little bit of like angry squinty eyes, mm-hmm. uh, black suit Spider-Man thwips off to confront the villainous supergroup. So before Peter went to bed, he made this comment <laughs> and this was one of the things I was talking about, like telegraphing. And I don't know if I just happened to align with like, I don't know if my, if what I was hoping for just aligned with what they wrote in total coincidence but before he 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 goes to sleep he says something to the effect of like i wish i could just wake up and the six would already be in jail or something like that Mm -hmm. so when this scene happened i was like i think it i think what i want might actually happen (laughs) i was wondering if you like caught on oh yeah to what happening because i remember when i watched it i don't i guess i wasn't i wasn't paying enough attention to it because i I knew that something was up, but I like forgot about it quickly enough because mm-hmm. I think what's really genius about about this scenario happening where he's like sleepwalk fighting basically yeah. is that it's happening in a fight where it's six six very talkative supervillains. Uh-huh. So like it the, the the fight sequence doesn't feel devoid of dialogue. They're all still talking to each other and it's all still really fun to watch. Right. So you almost kind of forget that Spider-Man does not say a single word throughout the yes. entire sequence. And that's not actually even what tipped me off. What ended up tipping me off is that when Spider-Man sort of flips off and makes his way over to Central Park, the first thing that happens to him, and again, this was on my mind, so I was like looking for the thing that would confirm it. Uh-huh. The first thing that happens when he arrives is Vulture cuts his web and Spider-Man falls to the ground like a fucking doll. Like he yeah. hits the ground so hard. And I was like, oh, God, he's either asleep or just like totally uh, unconscious as to what's happening. Like, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. He has like no grunts or anything like yep. that. Like it's it's noticeable, but it's not like but you're still ca- kind of questioning it. It's sort of like. Could that really could that yeah. really be what's happening? Well, there were a couple <laughs> things going through my mind. One of them was, you know, what what ends up I guess I mean, we're talking about it already, so we might as well just say it. Like Peter ends up having been asleep for this this next sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> the symbiote entirely takes over. That's the thing that I was like, I wonder if this is what's gonna happen. But I also was open to it potentially just being either just the symbiote, you know, in in the form of Spider-Man or that as a more sinister version of Spider-Man, he made some sort of like, I guess for lack of a better term, like symbiote clone. I I thought there were a few Mm -hmm. things that could be happening, but I definitely picked up on the fact that whatever was happening, Spider-Man was clumsy as heck and kept getting thrown around like a rag doll, which is something that never happens. You know, even when he's tossed around, he still, he grunts or he, he tries to land or something. And in this case, he just tumbles. <laughs> right, right, right. And it just so happens it's because he's he's asleep inside of the suit. <laughs> yeah. it's And it's cool, too, because, like, that's that's a thing that happened in the original comics, like, where he was, like, where he would, like, web sling in his sleep, sleep because of the suit. Yeah. But it's never been done in any of the adaptations that have done it. Like, they always just go, like... Well, I guess the only ones that have happened up to this point were Spider-Man 3 and the animated series, but both mm-hmm. of them went pretty straight straight to just, like, 
it makes them bad. Like that's right. it. So, so the fact that they went in this direction with it, where it actually is something that's sort of not just taking over his mind, but actually taking over his body. Ugh, it makes it so much creepier. It does. It does. It's real creepy. Um, and it's just so, and again, just like really fascinating. Yeah. And makes this fight sequence even more interesting because it makes him more unpredictable. But then, like you said, he's a lot more of a ragdoll yep. in a lot of cases. So it's like everything he does is just like slightly tweaked from what it normally would be in a normal Spider-Man fight. Yeah, I mean, it definitely supports the idea that had he not been wearing the black suit, he already would have been dead. Yeah. Because there's no way he could have survived the types of falls that he was taking. <laughs> there's just no way. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Gosh. So, Okay. These fights are incredible. They are mm-hmm. so, so good. And I started to write down in great detail everything that happened, but it just, it would do no justice. So we're like, we yeah. have the the gist, but please, 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 if you are somebody who only listens to us, please go watch these fight sequences. They are astonishingly well done. They really are. They really are. Definitely like the best in the show at this point, for sure. So good. the best thing we've like, ever no watched, that is 100%. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we talked about Spider-Verse, but as far as TV series go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no contest. So the second clash, uh, like I said, uh, between Spider-Man and the Sinister Six does start with Vulture sort of cutting his web um, and him falling to the ground. Where he falls is actually a pile of sand, so you kind of know exactly what's going to happen. The sand forms into Sandman, who then slams spider-man into a building and then tosses him to electro electro (laughs) then shoots him directly into a punch from the rhino which launches him onto a car that shocker promptly blows up (laughs) (laughs) so everybody got their shot in and then doc ock comes by and grabs spider-man throws him to the ground and basically holds him up by all fours (laughs) who's right Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) That is an introduction. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. God, even, like, the stuff that they say to each other is pretty, like, effed up. Like, Doc Ock says that Rhino has won the coin toss, Mm. um, which we're kind of... It's kind of implied that that, that the coin toss was uh, who gets to murder Spider-Man. Yep. (laughs) Which is referenced a little bit later on. But before Rhino can charge at the still silent and now very angry-looking Spider-Man... The uh, the suit creates these like web tendrils from it from the sides, like where his web wings normally are. Yeah, they whip Rhino and Doc Ock like in their faces. Yeah, it's crazy, and and like the tendrils look weird because they're almost kind of like translucent a little bit. Yeah, they're not what you would normally expect from the symbiote suit because you sort of just expect extensions of the suit, but these mm-hmm. are web. I mean, you see the sort of webbing in them. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. It's like it truly is like taking from Spider-Man's suit and yeah. like creating these things. It's cool. I like it a yeah. lot. It's very cool. It's a really cool way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Of course, in response, Electro, who's got his little anger issues, declares, I'll finish him, attempts to electrocute Spider-Man, but he accidentally uh, electrocutes Ock in the process. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, Ock launches backwards and Spider-Man, like, in his ragdoll mode, floppily yeah. fa- f- uh, falls nearby. You know what's interesting about this this scene? Because the next one is is the date that we've sort of already talked about. They cut this first scene off from the rest of the fight. And this first part of the fight, everybody gets at least one shot in. And Spider-Man, even though it's the suit, sort of conscious in the moment, mm-hmm. takes just an absolute beating. 
But then when we get back to the fight, we'll see that Spider-Man sort of figures things out or the suit, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because it almost feels like the suit took a bunch of hits to understand what everybody could do. Ooh. If not intentionally, I certainly would expect that to be the effect of them kind of passing him around. Yeah. And I really, really like that. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> cool take on it, actually. I didn't think about that, but it makes a lot of sense. Because everybody did at least one thing to him before he yeah. really starts fighting back. And then it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, information acquired, calculating yeah. ways to defeat that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's very like, robotic. <laughs> that's really cool. That's a re- uh, Yeah, I did not think about that. That's really cool. So I don't know if they specifically, you know, broke the two scenes apart in order to, like, separate that from the next one or if it was just their plan to in their storytelling but i do think it works at least in that way yeah yeah definitely definitely um what it is broken up with is what we've already talked about it's eddie and mary jane on the date um Ed, mary jane's kind of talking to him and we learn about the plane crash and uh but he gets progressively more and more reckless with his driving to the point that um mj gets a little bit um freaked out and demands that they stop and after he parks She tells Eddie that while Peter isn't perfect, he is twice the man that Eddie will ever be. Yeah, I think that's a little weird, but it's like not that bad. Um, I think that's meant to, I mean, MJ doesn't know Eddie and she, but, and and the only experience that she's had between the two of them is like one very negative, one very positive. I think it's, so it makes sense for her to like say something just like mean because she's mad. That's true. I guess that's like the, the perspective thing. Like each person's perspective tends to be very, very clean and tight um yeah based on what they've experienced so that does make sense that helps a lot and then the other side of it is that like that's such a pointed thing for eddie to hear because his whole perspective is that like i'm better than peter who's a piece of shit and then (laughs) is like no he's better than you and then for him with his complex that's gonna like hit him way harder than it should yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um that uh, we will probably well i don't know if we'll see that later but we'll feel it later (laughs) (laughs) yeah So we do cut back to Central Park after that. um, And as the police arrive, the battle with the Sinister Six obviously continues. Um, The Six do start to get sloppy when Spider-Man begins to redirect their attacks against him towards one another. So he starts to use them against each other. Um, So, for example, when Shocker and Electro accidentally knock Rhino out with a tag team attack meant for Spidey, he's able to use Rhino's body as a shield before tossing Rhino's limp body on top of Electro, which pins Electro down. Um, There are a few moments like this. Um, Another one is sort of a more classic defense against a tag team where Sandman and Vulture are, are coming from different directions to attack Spidey. So he like jumps out of the way and they hit each other. But it's a lot of that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's all, like we said, very well done. Very well animated, very well choreographed, very well everything. (laughs) So good. (laughs) So good. I'm probably going to watch it after we're done recording. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's It's a beautifully done episode. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Doc Ock instructs Sandman to remove Rhino's body, but panicking electro um understandably he kind of loses his he he freaks out he loses his ability to control his electrical discharge which um prevents sandman from doing that so with this whole six distracted uh the black suited spider-man is able to like start to escape or at least it looks like he's escaping he like pulls a grate off of um 
off of like the ground. Yeah. And I, so it's not clear if he was really trying to escape or if he just say anticipated that he was going to use that against them, but sure. he uses that against, he, he uses that against him as Vulture like pursues him. Spidey like kind of like shoves it into him, uses it kind of like a shield and then uses one of his own talent, uh, Vulture's own talents to damage Shocker's gauntlets after he takes out Vulture. Yeah. He like pulls the device on Vulture's head just like off of his head the it's one that violent. Like, yeah yeah because ugh, i just thought about the like little pin like micro needles again oh no oh no i just That's have to imagine what it is yeah yeah so he just like <laughs> ripped this technology out of vulture's head because he passes out vulture passes out yeah, as soon as that immediately happens. airborne passes out airborne yeah but but you know black suit spidey symbiote cares about not letting an unconscious vulture crash into the ground because he has him fly into a, a web. Yeah. <laughs> Big old spider nice web. Yeah. He's not all bad. Yeah. Consider it. <laughs> Could also just be a way to get the talon, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> so using that damaged gauntlet, the shockers damaged gauntlet is sort of just like expending energy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man is able to disable Sandman, which is interesting. Basically what we kind of have confirmed is that there's some sort of some sort of vibration coming from those gauntlets that how do like un- unbonds the molecule like the sand particles yeah. or whatever yeah yeah it's like he can't hold his form because yes. every every grain of, of sand is like is vibrating destabilizes so is the word i was thinking of that's it <laughs> yeah that's exactly it turns him into an unstable pile of sand basically right which interestingly seems to also have some kind of effect on the suit which means that this version of shocker must have some kind of sound component it might not necessarily be audible sound but mm-hmm. similar in nature at least to to sound waves whatever he's yeah. doing yeah i'm not sure but i mean i guess so it's got to have something because they they the i know like weissman said that it, it's supposed to be like compressed air or whatever yeah like augmented but but i would assume that like maybe to create it like there's some kind of vibrations involved that can, yeah. it's not, it's not enough to like completely take down the suit, the black suit, but it is enough to like affect it. it d- yeah. It like disrupts it. Cause it's not like a, it's not a sonic blast. Like there's no sonic booms. It doesn't come with like a screech or a, or a, right. you know, like a fog horny type thing. Um, but there's definitely something destabilizing, certainly the sand and at least a little bit the suit. Right. So yeah, Sandman's disabled. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shocker attempts to retaliate in anger, um, but Spider-Man and him clash, and Shocker is sort of knocked unconscious. I think basically Spider-Man just destroys the other gauntlet, and it kind of like explodes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which leaves really just Doctor Octopus. He's the only one left. Before we get into that, though, there's this this absolutely bonkers sequence where Shocker tries to shoot Spider-Man, and Sandman gets in the way. And so it blasts a hole through Sandman and then Spider-Man webs Shocker through the hole in Sandman (laughs) and pulls Shocker basically inside of Sandman and then like Sandman falls into a pile of sand. Which, like, oh, isn't even the thing that actually destabilizes him because really, like, Spider-Man literally just, like, throws the broken gauntlet at <laughs> at Sandman yeah. later. But that sequence yeah. is kind of horrifying. <laughs> it really is. It's a horror. It's like, it's like the body horror yeah. that the show loves it's to do. Ruthless. It's so good. Ruthless. It's, yeah, ruthless is the right word for it. 
Uh, so yeah, that leaves Dr. Octopus. Um, only one left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> uh, Doc Ock, it, it, he basically says that, like, this kind he kind of implies that this was his plan all along. That, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, was it though? But <laughs> yeah, I don't like, know I if need... I buy it. I mean, it is a good strategy. It's like a, it's like a meat shield strategy, but <laughs> I don't know. It's like a lot to go through for meat shields. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says, I knew you were finally getting serious when you stopped cracking your pathetic little jokes. Just as I knew you would expend your energies fighting my allies, leaving you open for Dr. Octopus to deliver the coup de gras. So yeah, like, if you want to say that's your plan, then I guess that's your plan, sure. Yeah, it's a little, like, <laughs> after-the-fact villain monologue where it was like, it was my plan all along. Yeah. Mm, all right, sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, buddy. But still, when he attempts to follow through with the promise of impaling Spider-Man, mm-hmm. he wants, I, I think, because Rhino had won the coin toss. So I guess he was probably going to impale Spider-Man on Rhino's yeah. unconscious horn. Oh, he absolutely was. He was going <laughs> to throw Spider-Man on an unconscious Rhino's horn. Imagine, like, waking up from being unconscious to a dead body attached to your head. I don't want to imagine that. That's terrible. (laughs) It's awful. Although I guess Rhino would be pretty stoked about it. He might feel like he was cheated out of the kill, but uh, he might relish in in the death. (laughs) Yeah. Either way, either way, it doesn't happen, obviously. Um, what? Now... <laughs> what ending did you watch? <laughs> <laughs> whoops, whoops. Um, the now out of control Electro, still underneath Rhino's body, uh, is like, I want to get him off, get him off. And he discharges a massive amount of electricity, um, which does catch Ock in his radius. So actually, the symbiote didn't even save Spidey this time because no. he, he kind of was saved by a kind of a random occurrence. So Yeah, yeah it would have been interesting to see how that would play play out just straight up doc ock versus the the symbiote i mean i think ock would have gotten wrecked but i still would have liked to see it (laughs) yeah yeah so the now angry doc ock is like apologies rhino we're gonna do this my way he does he has noticed that there's something up with spidey's suit um and he says your new suit interests me arachnid i'm going to enjoy peeling it away for further (sighs) study such a good line read such a good line read And and just like lives is that what you're gonna say oh no that but that's that's a good call though you're you're so right it so is it reminds me so much of that (laughs) yeah just like lives from spider-verse it's so true Mm -hmm. what i was gonna say is i think he says peeling it away for further study peeling the suit away from spidey and right after that is when the suit goes in full-on murder mode oh. at the thought of being peeled away from Ooh, its host. Ooh, I love that. Because right after that, he drop kicks Ock and nearly impales him with his own tentacle claw, the most murderous that he's been, oh, yeah. right after the threat of being peeled away from his host. Mm, I like that. I did not think of that, but I love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Of course, that also doesn't happen because the show is not that dark. Um, <laughs> Captain Stacy uh, like yells out to uh, to stop Spidey and, and snaps him out of it, so Spidey slips off. Peter isn't awake yet, but the symbiote recognizes that it can't do this and leaves. Right. I mean, if it, if he values his host, he has to protect his host too. You know, like, right. Right. <laughs> um, he's the symbiote's learning. It's it's learning. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So the next morning, Peter wakes up in his bed under the impression that he slept through the night, despite being very, very tired. But he discovers an electricity burn that he doesn't remember receiving from the Times Square fight. 
um, which he finds to be suspicious. He doesn't give it a whole lot of thought. He actually just leaves his room. He walks down the hall and uh, he almost knocks on Aunt May's door to wake her up, but decides to let her sleep, recognizing that she had sort of a rough day yesterday, what with the whole Times Square incident. So he lets her sleep in as he believes is is what the the case is yeah instead he goes downstairs and he retrieves the paper to find a headline that says spidey stops sinister six complete with photos provided by one peter parker dun, dun, dun. huh and he's like i don't remember doing that like i don't remember this fight at all if i was actually there i have no memory of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I like the I like the I like the thought of like the symbiote had to email these photos to J. Jonah Jameson. Oh my gosh! So, <laughs> so I like the thought of the symbiote like at the computer. Ah. Like, did he type an email? Did he just send them with no subject? Like, what? Because he didn't talk oh. at all as Spidey. So, like, is he like how how thorough how, how thorough is it getting at this point? Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess the least fun but probably most realistic answer would be that he just swung by and like dropped them memory card off or something yeah that's possible but i don't want to believe that so i'm gonna go with the symbiote typed an email maybe even let peter sleep a little bit so it's just like a little goop fingering the, the keyboard <laughs> i like the idea that it's like it spells everything incorrectly and it's just like hello me am parker here photos yeah definitely parker <laughs> love you signed the correct peter parker Oh, it's so good. Oh, I need that in my life. One more reason to bring the show back, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, flashbacks to the symbiote sending emails. If that won't get it renewed, nothing will. Yes. I'd watch 23 minutes of just that. Ah, oh, perfect. Well, Peter actually, um, he has this really creepy thought process of realization yeah. as to what actually happened. Um, he says to himself, you know, if, if he was actually there and doesn't remember it, this wasn't me wearing the suit. This was the suit wearing my body. <sighs> this alien, it's some kind of symbiote. But then after realizing that he has that sort of mental switch that he's been using to rationalize keeping the suit and his voice sort of changes. And he says to himself again, this is all inner monologue. Still, what do we care? The six were put down hard. Parker gets paid for the photos. What else matters? Oh, I love it. It's so it's so subtle, but it's like we, and then referring himself, referring yep. himself plural, and referring to himself yep. in third person. Yep. Hmm, I wonder what's happening there. Huh. <laughs> also, we kind of brushed over this, but the white embellishments on his suit is that the venom, like almost nearly the venom symbol, is on the front of his suit now, uh-huh. um, and the spider on the back turned white. So uh-huh. I just realized that we never clarified that, but that's that's fewer, what they are. Fewer webs on like his torso area too. Yeah. Like they're sort of slowly disappearing. I like that. That's like gradually turning into the suit that we recognize. It's so cool. And Peter doesn't comment on it at all, which I like. So it's very much just representative of like the symbiote slowly taking him over. Mm-hmm. It's so brilliant. And it's a great way to bridge the gap between the Spider-Man 3 version of the suit where it's just a black and white version of the regular suit yeah, and yeah. Like the traditional comic suit. It's so brilliant. I yeah. love it so much. So many good choices. So many good choices. Mm-hmm. Well, the episode closes um, right after this. He has this little monologue um, and it's kind of broken up. Um, when MJ arrives, um, she's still in her pajamas. So I guess she's probably staying with her aunt Anna, like next door or something. Mm. 
So she delivers the news to Peter. She actually is just like, Peter, everyone's trying to call you. Where have you been? What's going on? Um, And Peter's like, oh, Aunt May, she's asleep. And she's like, no, she's not asleep. She had a heart attack and she's in the hospital. But her delivery is like, it's, there's something about it that's really sad where she's like, oh, Peter. Like, like she recognizes that Peter doesn't know yet and is like the last person to know. Yeah. And like what effect that might have. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which it's pretty devastating. It's pretty yeah. devastating. This is the one thing that I don't, <laughs> I don't like about the episode. I'm trying to rationalize in my head, but it takes it out. It takes me out of it every single time I watch it and has been since the first day. Peter's reaction to MJ's news, the way that it's animated is like delayed in a way that really <laughs> bothers me because it is a frozen face when she says Aunt May had a heart attack, his face does not change. It doesn't change until she finishes talking, saying that she's in the hospital. And then it has a really great surprise, shocked reaction that ends the episode. That's so weird. But it takes a long time to get that shocked reaction. And it and, and I wouldn't mind it so much if, it, if, if this wasn't a show that, like, very rarely, if ever, has, like, animation errors. Yeah. My only way of rationalizing it is that, like, the symbiote was, I don't know, doing something to make him not be, like, reactionary. But it doesn't really make sense. It just feels like an error that, in a really shocking turn at the very end of the episode, takes me right out of it when literally everything else leading up to that point was perfect. I mean, if you – I don't know if this will make you feel better, but, like, it could be that the news doesn't hit him until she specifically says, like, Peter, she's in the hospital. You know, like – Yeah. I don't know that that's enough. But I could I could see like Aunt May had a heart attack and then sort of going through the like, no, 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 like she's upstairs and then having things sort of click into place when the word hospital comes up. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, there's plenty of ways you can rationalize it. But like, it's just like it's such an odd choice that makes yeah. you feel like it literally was just like because if he had just made his reaction just yeah. like two th- or three seconds earlier, it would have worked fine. In any case, it doesn't feel like the best choice they could have made. Yeah, definitely. When this is a this is an episode full of best choices. <laughs> right, right. It really sticks out to me, especially for that being the very last thing that happens yeah. on a very good episode. Like it's a big downer. Like it's it's such a it's a thing where it's just like it's so minor that it shouldn't matter, but it's also a very important moment. Yeah. And like when it's compared to everything else leading up to it, that was perfect. <laughs> it really uh it kind of takes me out of it. It's that kind of bugs me even more than I think it should. But. I was wondering if you were going to say that it was um almost undercutting for Mary Jane at the end of the episode to say that she's fine after delivering that she like had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that was bad move on Mary Jane's part. It's like, you always start out with the good news. You say everything's fine. She's fine. But yeah. she had a heart attack. Like you don't start off with someone got into a car accident, but they're fine. You start off with they're fine, but just so yeah. you know, this thing happened to them. So well, I feel like the uh, the sort of like in consideration of the audience thing to do would have been to end on oh Peter, she had a heart attack. She's in the hospital yes. or something like that, and then have us be like, wait, is she not fine though? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they didn't want to like cheat too much because yeah. it's like I mean, it, you don't want to get it, cheap. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, you know, yeah, it is what it is. I, I I hate ending it like that, but like that because this episode otherwise is like fucking fabulous. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Go watch it, please. Even if Top you watched tier. it, just go watch it again. Top tier episode of the season for sure. Oh my gosh, and it's funny too because it's just like, I mean, it's written really well, but it's not a it's not a heavily written story. It's just mm-hmm. all the dialogue is really really good. The attention to detail is really really good, and then the animation is top notch. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, oh boy. Man. So good. One face of the episode for this episode. I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, I have a crush on like Rhino in every situation. Wait, you do? Anyway. but i love this rhino so much because he is so adorable he's so cute he's so dumb and he's so childlike (laughs) when he's like looking in the tunnel he looks so terrified and like wide eyes like i don't do so good in tunnels (laughs) he's so fucking cute yeah it's such a good way to say it too i don't do so good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but that's it i love rhino (laughs) yeah no it's 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 good it's a good it's a good surprise like not surprise face. It's a good like terror face. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Like he's my having one flashbacks. <laughs> like, <Yes>. Tunnels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Rhino's gonna go out and try to kill all the tunnels. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <sighs> what a what a great episode. I don't know that we need to even say how much we loved it because we said it like a thousand times. But we love this one. Both of these episodes are so good. Oh yes. They're so good. Oh, <sighs> beautiful. Oh man. They're healing. Yes. All of my ailments are healed watching these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Every issue, every issue with the Green Goblin mystery is just like <laughs> swept aside because these are these are perfect. Yes, exactly. Nothing else matters <laughs> because these episodes exist. <laughs> yep. So, uh, well, wow, wow, mm-hmm. wow, we did a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man, uh, we're almost done, too. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, well, not the whole show. We're almost done with the first season. Yeah. <sighs> but, but what a uh, what a great way what a great lead up to the end for real and if i mean if you made it to the end especially if you made it to the end in one go because i expect people probably listen to these over you know a couple days or commutes or whatever but mm-hmm. if you made it to the end thank you make sure you hashtag what was it uh be like ock <laughs> be like doc ock sure sure yeah be like just doc let ock. us know let us know you made it <laughs> let us know if you loved it as much as we did and if you love what we're doing in general hey check out our patreon uh over at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers that is um totally optional it's basically if you like what we're doing and you want to support us if you want us to do bigger and better things um like this but either more frequently or in more diverse ways or um, maybe to find some shows that are harder to find um, any sort of support through Patreon really helps us out. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you made it to the end of the episode, my God, you must love us a lot. <laughs> Check that out. See if it's for you. Um, there are some perks on there. It's our way of saying thank you. So if you are a patron, you do get some exclusive content because we want to treat you well because you're treating us well. And uh, yeah, we would really, really love it if you could check that out. Mm-hmm. Please do. Um, and if you'd like to check out more stuff from us, um, you can find us across various social media platforms. Doug, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y, tweeting about all kinds of stuff. It's almost Survivor season. It might be like days, if not a day, from Survivor season when this episode drops. So uh, get ready for that, everybody. Um, and if you are into Pokemon things, you can find me on another podcast called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about whatever Pokemon stuff we want here on the 4 Radio Network. Derek, what are you up to and where can people find it? Cool. You can find all my stuff uh, very easily via my Twitter at Derek B. Gale, D-E-R-E-K-B-G-A-Y-L-E. Follow me if you want. I talk about lots of weird stuff, so you'll probably regret following me after you do, but that's fine. It's the best way to get someone to follow you. <laughs> you don't, don't do want it. this Save content, yourself. I promise. Save yourself. 
Um, but if you if you do somehow put up with me and my tweets, um, follow me there. And you can also look at my YouTube show, Second Chance, which has a few episodes up now. Um, we'll be back for a second season in the next couple months. Um, but that is a show that looks at bad slash divisive media or media at least perceived as bad and tries to look at it with a positive lens um, and trying to see like what the intentionality was of it and why maybe it's good and why it why people who like it would like it so check out second chance on youtube there if you'd like to follow us uh our show on social media uh for like faces of the episode lots of images and gifs and previews and uh reviews and stuff like that you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at walloping web pod or email us at walloping web snappers podcast at gmail.com we welcome any uh questions concerns letters just general thoughts uh we would love to hear from you guys hear what you think we're doing right wrong or just okay um (laughs) we'd also love it if you rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts if you write us a review we will do a dramatic reading of it and post it on social media (laughs) we need some more (laughs) drama in our lives too so if you listen to this and you've never written us a a review maybe maybe do that give us some drama yeah doesn't have to be much you just be like you guys are great and we will read it in the most dramatic way possible (laughs) or you guys are terrible we'll read that in a dramatic way possible too hey anything's fun if you write it we'll read it totally totally and like we said before you can also support us on patreon by going to patreon.com slash walloping web snappers but next time next time next time next time i'm sad but excited but sad but excited (laughs) we're gonna conclude the first season of spectacular spider-man uh with one of the episodes is actually my personal favorite episode of the whole season i think uh we'll see if that changes when we watch it but the final two episodes of the season intervention and nature versus nurture Mm. can't wait bye yes bye Beck, who is described, described. <laughs> <laughs> he he nearly you know he walks down the hall and nearly knocks on Aunt Dora's Aunt Dora. <laughs> <laughs>